The following episode of the 9pm edict is being recorded live. It contains strong language, adult themes, politics, drinking, a trivia quiz, and quite a bit of bad sex. It goes for four hours. Saturday, the 31st of October, 2020. It's Halloween. In this special live-streamed episode, there's, yes, bad sex and the Queensland election. There's also a sex trivia quiz, so maybe sort out some teams now, unless you want to play by yourself or play with yourself, I don't care. And drinking? Oh yes, there will certainly be drinking. Apart from that, uh, we commiserate with CNN's Jeffrey Tubin. Tubin engages in an intimate act of self-gratification, seemingly unaware that a Zoom camera is on. And we hear why this man is so concerned. We need to pray for the president. This is about morality. This is about same-sex marriage not being approved and blessed in this country. How far do they want us to go? Hello, I'm Stilgarian. This is the 9pm Halloween bad sex state election live. It's Halloween. It's the full moon. Arrgh! I hope no one's in the next room at this hotel. It's also Leukertong, which is a Thai festival. Uh, the word means kind of to flute a basket, and, and that's because the whole tradition of Leukertong is you make little decorated baskets and usually light them up with candles or little lights or whatever and float them down the river. For the river gods, you see. There's a, uh, a similar thing used to thank the goddess of water, uh, the Hindu goddess Ganja. They have the Ganges River named after her, you know, in northern India uh, and a whole lot of things. It's a, it's a beautiful little festival uh, and even when done at a, at a Thai pub in Sydney where they basically get a wading pool and fill it full of flowers um, and, and then float the katong uh, on that. It's lovely. It's lovely. Well, hello... Um, oh yes, apart from the uh, the full moon, it's a blue moon, as genuine Pope just said on the the chat, uh, which is a second moon in a single month. Although I does that still work in other parts where I can't do the arithmetic. Anyway, so this is live. <laughs> for what it's worth. In recent episodes, um, I've always started by talking about uh, the quarantines that dominate our lives uh, these days. For me, um, day 288 of the quarantines, 32 and a half weeks, but let's... Ooh, that's the microphone. Uh, but let's ignore the 32 and a half weeks. Let's celebrate for Victoria, right? This is their first weekend out of lockdown in what four and a half five years and as a friend messaged me last night like that friend had their first beer out in months i mean they sent me a photograph of it and it looked like a beer as you'd expect anyway they followed it with a drop of the first uh no not the first first beer then a drop of the church block uh red from mclaren vale in south australia and a steak and they said, this was like, it felt like the last days of Rome. Pathetic, really. They said that, not I said that. I would never call anyone uh, pathetic. 
Now, I know, uh, given that this is the 9pm Bad Sex State Election Live, uh, that you, you really want to get into the bad sex. But, uh, first some housekeeping. One... Um, there is going to be a sex trivia quiz uh, in the first half of this live stream. Uh, so you can do it by yourself. I mean, you can play with yourself as much as you like while listening to this. I won't mind. Uh, but like pub trivia, you may want to form a team or at least have a, 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 a Coco Conspirator uh, when playing. So you can organise that. You can chat amongst yourselves uh, by, I don't know, WhatsApp or Signal or Zoom or however you want to do this. Maybe you have actual friends or family in the same room as you. Wow. Anyway, sort that out. It'll be about another 20 minutes at least before I get on to the sex trivia. And also some other housekeeping. Some of you have found the live chat. That's good. If you're listening to this on my webpage... Um, then you'll need to go click through to Spreaker.com and find the 9pm edict there or uh, go on a Spreaker app and find the 9pm edict there and you can join the live chat, which I which I am watching. Hi, Jodie M. Hi, Tim Holland. Hi, Genuine Pope again. Get your towels, people, says Genuine Pope. I agree. And if I'm a little slow in responding to the live chat... It's because my lag from when words come out of my mouth until they come out of your device, about 15 or 20 seconds probably. Um, So take that into account. So, you know, they're the important things. Uh, Enjoy the show. Uh, Now, uh, (laughs) I might post a photograph of this in a minute, uh, but obviously the uh, state election part is the Queensland state election, so I do have the ABC News channel up on a very large screen on the wall. Uh, I'm only paying partial attention to that, but I can see that for a target 47 seats, ALP has 34, LMP 24, OFF, which is other, 7, in doubt 28. Obviously, there hasn't been much counted so far. Storms hail up to 14 centimetres hit parts of southeast Queensland. Wow. Oh, the Liberal National Party leader is called Deb Frecklington. That sounds uncomfortable. As you can see, I'm the full bottle uh, of full bottle on, with, through, by uh, Queensland state politics. Someone who's better at it, of course, at least at the numbers. Anthony Green, the ABC's Anthony Green. Here's uh, what he said yesterday. Tomorrow's polling day in Queensland, but it may be very quiet on the polling places. It's estimated that maybe 75% of Queenslanders have already voted before polling day. And the quarter that turn up tomorrow is just the icing on the cake in determining who forms the next government in Queensland. That government will be determined in the Legislative Assembly, the 93-seat chamber of the Queensland Parliament. As it was was elected at the last election, the Labor Party has 48 seats. The LNP won 39 seats last time. They've lost Whit Sunday to Jason Costigan defecting. And there are six seats on the crossbench at the moment. The question is, in this new parliament, at this election, will the Greens win extra seats 
Will Catter's Australia Party win extra seats? Every extra seat on the crossbench makes it slightly harder to get majority government and may increase the chances of minority government. But the election will be decided in various parts of Queensland. Down in the southeast, where two-thirds of the seats are, the Labor Party is expected to hold its own seats in Brisbane. So there's not a lot of change expected in Brisbane. There is the possibility Labor's fighting hard to win seats on the Gold Coast. The LNP is trying to take the one seat Labor already holds off them. And then there's North and Central Queensland, where Labor did so badly at the last federal election. This time, Labor's defending all those seats in the cities, including what's critically being watched is the three-pack of seats in Townsville. They were surprisingly, they were all held by Labor at the last election. They all sit on very small margins and Labor's under threat from the LNP. Those three seats could determine whether the Labor Party manages to hold on to a majority government, is forced into minority, or if the LNP pick up those seats and others across the state, whether there's a change of government. I'm not quite sure how this is going to go, to be honest. Um, um, the platypus is with me here tonight, and um, he may say something if he feels inclined to do so. I won't force him to. He's just there with a glass of wine and 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 a miserable look on his face. Uh, but um, we were talking about this over dinner earlier, and yeah, people are saying it's close, very close, uh, and a palaché is quite popular for her stand on on the COVIDs. Um, but then who can say? It's all down to margin of error stuff, I think. Uh, but then we thought that with the New South Wales state election last year or the year before or whatever, and, just went, uh, form, and Anthony Green said, you know, it was, it was like about 15 seconds in and said, oh, Liberal Party back. There we go. It's all very, very boring, really. Look, I'm going to... St- oh, no, no, no. I, I will mention, though, the wild card in all of this is, of course, Clive Palmer. I'm one of the former founders of the LNP, so that is something in my history. And, um, you know, I don't say goodbye to friends that I've known for many years. There you go. He's putting a lot of money into this, as you probably know. Uh He's been doing the whole scare about Labor introducing a death tax again. I mean, a death tax. That would be really frightening, except it's not actually a thing. Do you like little Halloween noise there? I mean, you've got to theme it up, right? This is a class production, obviously. I mean, it's the 9pm edict. Anyway, that's where we're at. Uh, the Queensland Electoral Council has, has kind of warned that with the high number of uh, candidates and votes, uh, it may take a while to count. But it's Queensland. They don't have an upper house. I mean, what is there to count? Just just listen to what Anthony says. Um, uh, he's on screen now, but yeah, whatever. Uh, so that's Queensland for the moment. Uh, I may cross into uh, some other things from Queensland shortly. Right, are you ready for the trivia? Are you ready for the trivia? Because I have 30 questions here. And I'm planning to do them in three blocks of ten, spread out over the next hour or so. Uh, I think I've actually got way too many questions. And this might take longer than, than we think. So, trivia rules. 
if you're listening and on the chat, please don't post the answers in the chat, unless they're really funny wrong answers, obviously. Uh, if you have someone to join you as a teammate, uh, if you're in the chat, actually tell me now whether you've, or, or on Twitter with the hashtag 9pm live, tell me uh, whether uh, there is someone uh, who can be uh, a teammate for you. And what do I do now? I wait 20 seconds for you to do that and it comes back 19, 18, 17. 16, this slower than a second, aren't they? 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, uh, uh, 0. Okay, apparently none of you have team members you're playing with. So let's get into the sex trivia. Oh, <laughs> there was going to be a sound then, but there wasn't because I'm incompetent. Okay. I, oh, yeah, look, Coralien is on the uh, the chat. Oh, okay, okay. People people are kind of suggesting the trivia is already anyone need a team member. How about uh, I give you a bit of time to consider uh, who you want as a teammate for the trivia? Uh, yeah, that would be a good idea, wouldn't it? And instead, uh, look, a wonderful thing happened. Um, what's his name? Tom Lira who's in his 90s now, satirical songwriter, he put a whole bunch, like all of his songs, into the public domain uh, about a week ago, two weeks ago. So, look, find yourself, find yourself a teammate. Come on, set it up. Give you a couple of minutes to do that. Well, it seems we have time for one more, and this is one I always like to close with. Uh, Recently, there has been a great deal of ferment in the Roman Catholic Church involving... Uh, more liberal changes. In particular, they have permitted the use of vernacular language instead of Latin in portions of the Mass. They have uh, made optional the eating of meat on Friday. This, oh, I, this pleased me very much because I've always felt there was a basic inconsistency in the church dogma there. You see, it was all right for a soldier to kill a man on Friday, but it was a sin to eat him. <laughs> so, uh, Also... Uh, they have permitted uh, the use of some secular music in portions of the liturgy. And I think that last was a particularly good idea and uh, inspired me with the thought that if they really want to sell what they have to sell, what they should do is redo some of the liturgical music in real popular song forms. So I tried one with the ragtime form, and it is called the Vatican Rag. First you get down on your knees, fiddle with your rosaries, bow your head with great respect and genuflect, genuflect, genuflect. Do whatever steps you want if you have cleared them with the pontiff. Everybody say his own, Kyrie eleison, doing the Vatican right. Processional, step into that small confessional. They're the guy who's got religion. I'll tell you if your sin's original. If it is, try playing it safer. Drink the wine and chew the wafer. Two, four, six, eight. Time. 
time to transubstantiate us. So get down upon your knees, fiddle with your rosaries, bow your head with great respect and genuflect, genuflect, genuflect. Make a cross on your abdomen when in Rome, do like a Roman. Ave Maria, gee, it's good to see you. Getting ecstatic and sort of dramatic and doing the Vatican right. I really should have uh, grabbed more of Tom Lehrer's songs uh, and loaded them up because they're a fantastic thing to fill a couple of minutes uh, without breaching copyright. I could, of course, just play any old song, but, you know, I don't really want um, to get into trouble. I don't know. Okay. I am going to assume that you've sorted out your partners for the time being. Now, as I say, there are three... Uh, sets of 10 questions each. Um, you'll have time. If you, if you don't have a partner for the first one, you can certainly sort one out for parts two and three because I just realised to go through 10 questions uh, will take a while. Question one. This is a really easy one to start with. What shape is Donald Trump's penis? Allegedly. And for a bonus point, who says so? So question one, what shape is Donald Trump's penis? And for a bonus point, who said so? Question two, oh, by the way, if you can hear a little, let me know if you can hear that little mumbling in the background. I believe that with the sound just up a tiny bit on the television, it shouldn't turn up into my microphone. Oh, oh, um, Jody M's asked how we meant to answer. Uh, you write down your answers at your end, and when I've gone through each batch of 10 questions, I will read out the answers and tell you what the scores are, and then you get to do the adding up yourself. It's obviously... Don't cheat because, I mean, you're only only deceiving yourself and there's no fun in that. Uh, So, yeah, just just keep track of the answers yourself and then I'll come back when I've done each batch of ten and run through them. And this will take fucking hours, so that's great. Okay? Everyone understanding the rules? Yes. Uh, By the way, I I should say uh, that there's a... uh, guy in the UK who's who's kind of a freelance rugby uh, commentator, but he uh, obviously doesn't have much rugby to commentate on during the Corona times. Uh, he's doing a regular Thursday night um, uh, uh, trivia contests on YouTube, and he gets like more than a thousand people doing it. And he just says, "Okay, if you enjoyed playing this, uh, just give me a pound." And, like, he's, he's probably, you know, quite happily, you know, getting a solid day's income uh, from doing that uh, on YouTube. I'll remember his name in a minute. Anyway, question one, what shape is Donald Trump's penis, allegedly, and bonus point, who said it? Question two, what activity are these all euphemisms for? Blumpy. Derb, which can be spelt either D-E-R-B or D-U-R-B, or brains. That's Blumpy, B-L-U-M-P-Y, Derb, 
or brains. They're all euphemisms for the same activity. Question three. The penis contains a mechanism which inflates with blood to make it erect. You all know that. So for one point, how many chambers does it have? And for a bonus point, the name. So the, the things that inflate a penis, and, and no, I'm not talking about a pump. The things that inflate a penis, how many are they and what is the name for this thing or things? That's question three. Question four. This is about sex positions. Okay. In which of the following heterosexual sex positions is the woman on top, broadly broadly speaking? Okay, so yes or no answers. A point for each correct answer. There's going to be five of them, and these are all from Women's Health magazine, okay? So which of the following heterosexual sex positions have the woman mostly on top? Okay, face off, the caboose, the valedictorian, pretzel dip, and cowgirl's helper. So, yes or no, is the woman on top or not? Face off, the caboose, the valedictorian, pretzel dip, or cowgirl's helper? That's question four. Question five, uh, this, is, this is not quite sex, but how many nipples do the following creatures usually have? How many nipples, okay? Cows. That's easy, isn't it? Okay. Giraffes. That's going to be a little trickier. Blue whales. Stingrays. And cats. Okay, so how many nipples? Cows, giraffes, blue whales, stingrays, cats. That's question five. Question six. Who performed the following songs? They all have sex in the title, right? So I want who performed them. There's going to be four of them. So who performed them and for bonus points... In which year was each one released? So I've got to give you the titles. Eight points up for grabs. I want the artist and the year. Number one is, let's put the X in sex. Let's put the X in sex. Second one is sex bomb. Right? I, I reckon that's the easiest one, but there you go. Third one, I want your sex. Or maybe that one's the easier one. I want your sex. That's the name of the song, not my uh, opinion about anything just at the moment. The last one, let's talk about sex. Actually, no, that's the easiest one, I think, for people of a certain age, isn't it? Let's talk about sex. So that's question six. Let's put the X in sex, sex bomb, I want your sex, and let's talk about sex. Question six. Question seven. In which Australian city did a brothel keeper run for Lord Mayor and what was their name? 
So two points there. In which Australian city did a brothel keeper run for Lord Mayor and what was their name? Ah, oh, third point, third point, what year? Okay, that's question seven. Question eight. Which one of the following is not a slang term for anal sex? Okay. I will say all of them are except for one. Cuban chili dog, Japanese astronaut, Swedish bike ride, Tasmanian tiger, Missouri compromise, Dutch steamboating. As you can hear, there's a bit of a geographical theme going on here. So one of these is not a synonym for anal sex. Cuban chili dog, Japanese astronaut, Swedish bike ride, Tasmanian tiger, Missouri compromise, or Dutch steamboating. Tim Holland uh, on the chat has asked, where's Pansy Division? Pansy Division, a fantastic queer punk band, I want to say 1990s, would that be right? I think 1990s. Pansy Division is excellent. I'd completely forgotten about them for the time being. I have seen them play live. Really nice guys, a lot of fun. No Pansy Division for you tonight, sorry. Question nine. According to the magnificent website Whores of Yore, what is a liver lister? A, sorry, a lifter, a liver lifter, L-I-V-E-R-L-I-F-T-E-R, a liver lifter. What is a liver lifter? And uh, question 10, final in this uh, first segment, a bit of history to finish with. In 2014, a man named Todd Carney did what? Now, there's a photograph of this, and I suspect most of you have seen the photograph, but the, the chap's name is Todd Carney, and what did he do in 2014? So there's the first 10. Uh, we need to make sure that you've uh, got time to write down your answer. And, um, oh, I was going to play the Vatican rag here in this bit to give you time uh, to write down your answer. That's very clever. Um, so I'll, I'll play a sting and then we'll have a bit of Anthony Green uh, and and then uh, we'll come back and get your answers. A comparison, 2.4% to Labor. So that shows that's consistent, consistent across southeast Queensland, but it's quite different in the rest of the I states. I have no idea what now, he's talking I've about. I've got to show point. just one seat. Pumice Stone. Pumice Stone. Um, 5% counted. Uh, I think it's Arlie King. He's on 49.3 for on a gas 27. This is, so I'll run the setup here because um, Simone Wilson won this at the last election. She won it in circumstances where um, the Labor candidate was disendorsed 
ran as an independent, one nation, got 23% of the vote. It was a very complex count last time, and Simone, Simone Wilson came out with a very narrow victory. Now, without her there this complex time, vote. I mean, this is, a different result. You know, Again, only 5% counted, but let's look at the change in vote that's occurring here. Labor's vote's up 13. The one nation vote has disappeared, down 15%, as was um, predicted in the opinion poll on Palmerston last week. And that's translating at the moment into a two-party preferred swing of 9%. And that's by far the biggest um, swing we're seeing anywhere. I'd also say it was the uh, opinion poll last weekend which was clearer, clearest in its indication of what was going on. We it all love a big was swing, a much don't we? Tighter contest. I think tighter the circumstances contest. of last time and the retirement of Simon Powell means that this is probably correct and Labor looks on track to win Palmerstone. We're not calling it yet, but uh, they're very encouraging first figures for the Labor Party. And, and really, apart from um, South Brisbane, this is the only seat I've seen definitely feeling has been has changed party at this stage. Okay, that's the first seat where he has a feeling that it's going to change party. That's Pummerstone, uh, presumably named after the great uh, Colonel George Pummerstone, uh, who used to use uh, those little Pummerstone things that we used to use in the bathroom in days gone past as some sort of butt plug. <laughs> Okay, folks, I think it's time to uh, go back and score your first set of um, questions in the sex trivia quiz. Okay, you ready? I can't wait around uh, for an answer, of course. Uh, What's Garth Kidd done on the chat? Imagine what Googling the answers to cheat would do to your advertising results for the next few weeks. Mate, I was Googling for the questions. (laughs) Ah, oh, mate. Uh, Genuine Pope, whoever that is, is sending in uh, some updates. 42 to 25 to 8. That's uh, Labour to LNP to other, isn't it? Yes. 42, well, 42, 26, 8 uh, on the screen just as I look at it now. It all moves so fast, doesn't it? Okay, the answers. Um... Look, as I said, the first one is easy. What shape is Donald Trump's penis? The answer is it's shaped by a mushroom. That's one point. And if you said Stormy Daniels said that, that's another point. Stormy Daniels, who, of course, is the porn star and sex uh, worker, uh, she uh, has witnessed uh, the Trumpian penis uh, personally. Her her actual name, actually, you could have had her... Uh, non-working name, which is Stephanie Clifford. So a point for either, and yeah, two points for both. So Mushroom, Stormy Daniels, Stephanie Clifford. There's three points up for grabs there. And uh, indeed, here's a clip of Stormy Daniels on the Jimmy Kimmel show. If you had to, the lineup you mentioned, and picking it out of a lineup, which of these mushrooms, orange mushrooms, would most represent the Commander-in-Chief of the United States military. (laughs) Can you hold it up so it's coming at me at the correct angle? Yes. I mean, that's the important thing, isn't it? As long as Donald Trump's penis is coming at you at the correct angle. Just visualise that. That's, That's just gorgeous, isn't it? Okay, question two. Uh, Which activities are these euphemisms for? Blumpy, derb and brains. Uh, The answer is oral sex. 
uh, specifically fellatio, but if you just said oral sex of any kind, I'll count that for a point. Fellatio, the famous opera singer. Question three, the penis contains a mechanism which inflates it with blood. How many chambers does it have? Three. So to get the first point, you will need to have said three chambers, okay, and they are named. The first two are the larger two, corpora cavernosa, the cavernous bodies, and there's a smaller one called the uh, – the first one shouldn't be confused, as I say, with the corpora cavernosi. R, R, R. They lie side by side. And the third one, it's smaller, is called the corpus spongiosum. Ooh, that's that's one of those words you want to hear during sex, isn't it? Oh, spongiosum. Okay, uh, three, and uh, if you had either of those names, another point. That was a tough one, I think, quite possibly. Okay, question four. Which of the following heterosexual sex positions has the woman on the top mostly, according to uh, Women's Health magazine? So the five. Okay, one point for each. Yes or no? So face off, yes, woman on top. That's where the man's sitting on the side of the bed and the woman is riding him. The caboose, that's yes as well, and I forgot to put the pictures in my running sheet, so you'll have to look that one up for yourself. So face off, yes. Caboose, yes. The valedictorian, no. The pretzel dip, no. But the cowgirl's helper, yes. So you got somewhere between zero and five points for yes, yes, no, no, yes. Okay. Question five, how many nipples do they have? Cows, four. I mean, you really should have known that, right? Giraffes, also four. Hmm. They're sort of like tall, thin cows in that regard, aren't they? Blue whales, Two, and did you know the blue whale has the largest mammary glands of any creature on Earth? Each mammary gland is one and a half metres long and weighs as much as a baby elephant, and blue whale mothers produce 200 litres of milk a day. That's about a fifth of a tonne, with a fat content of 35 to 50%, so... You know, that's hardly your skim milk. milk. And the blue whale calf, because of that, gains weight at the rate of 100 kilograms a day, which is almost as much as I've gained during lockdown. Okay, cows four, giraffes four, blue whales two, stingrays, none. It's a fish. It's not a mammal. Of course it doesn't have... Nipples, idiots, and cats, six or eight. So I'll give you one point if you said either six or eight and two points if you said six or eight. That clear? Okay. Number six, who performed the songs with sex in the title, uh, Let's Put the X in Sex? Here's a bit. Okay, 
That's Kiss from 1988. Let's put the S in sex. So one point for Kiss, one point for 1988, but only if you first said Kiss. I don't want people guessing years here. Kiss, 1988. Okay, the second one, Sex Bomb. You know what you are, you are. Sex Bomb, Sex Bomb. Yeah. You're a Sex Bomb. Uh-huh. You can give it to me when I need to come along. Give it Sex Bomb, Sex Bomb. You're my Sex Bomb. And baby, you can turn me on. Baby, you can turn oh, me yeah. on. Oh yeah, baby, you can turn me on. Except none of us can sing like... Tom Jones, Sir Tom Jones, Sex Bomb, and the year 1999. And I forgot to ask the other question, two bonus points for who the producer was, but you can look that up yourself later. It was was Moose T. Anyway, Sex Bomb, Tom Jones, 1999. Number three, I Want Your Sex, which is this button. I Want Your Sex. From the man who has so many things in common with Alan Jones, that's uh, George Michael. I want your sex. George Michael, 1987, that one. I mean, how are you doing so far? I think you're all too busy um, sort of scoring your answers rather than chatting, which is fine, which is fine. We want to get your answers right. Anyway, the fourth one was let's talk about sex. Salt and Pepper, 1991. So, that's a good one. So, it's Kiss, 1998, Tom Jones, 1999, George Michael, 1987, and Salt and Pepper, 1991. Question seven, which Australian city, in which Australian city did a brothel keeper run for Lord Mayor and what was their name? Uh, The answer was Adelaide, one point. Stormy Summers... For the second point, and as I said, a third point, bonus point, which year? 2000, 20 years ago. Stormy Summers, she was a, she was a, she was a, shall we say, a figure in the Adelaide establishment, a retired stripper who owned and managed a three-storey brothel right in the heart of Adelaide. She ran for Lord Mayor of Adelaide in 2000, and I think was at either 12 or 30% of the primary vote. She did very, very well because she did an enormous amount of work for homeless people and, and, and for the business community and so on. And, and the murder that happened at her premises is, is something that we'll not talk about. Uh, but there's a wonderful quote from her campaign here, which is, if I've been running an illegal business for the last 25 years, I think I should run this city pretty well, don't you? That's Adelaide. Anyway, Stormy Summers. She had a voice of stars like this. She phoned me once when I worked for the ABC because we'd run these uh, segments on the sex industry. And so, hello, it's Stormy Summers here. <laughs> I'd like to congratulate you on behalf of the entire sex industry for those programs. Thank you, Mrs. Summers. 
She's cool. Uh, number eight. Which of the following is not a synonym for anal sex? The answer was Tasmanian tiger. I made that one up this afternoon. Uh, the others were all real. Cuban chili dog, Japanese astronaut, whatever that is, Swedish bike ride, Missouri compromise and Dutch steamboating are all slang terms for anal sex according to the urbanthesaurus.org. A reputable... Um, question nine, what is a liver lifter? The answer is an unusually large penis because when you're fucked, it lifts your liver up. That dates from 1888. If you go, not now, because there's some more questions coming up, but thewhoresofyore.com or, or if you follow Whores of Your on Twitter, and she's also recently written a fantastic book. It's kind of about the history of sex, but it's not really history. It's just lots of interesting stuff about the history of sex. So look that up. Uh, a point for uh, a large penis, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, and number 10, uh, what did a man named Todd Carney do in 2014? And there's a photograph of it. He pissed into his own mouth. Todd Carney, a star player for the Cronulla Sharks uh, rugby league team. Uh, there is a photograph of him uh, standing at a urinal, uh, pissing upwards and capturing the stream in his own mouth. Hang on. What? 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 The platypus is saying something. He was the camera rated, not, 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 the, not the Cronulla Sharks. What? The rugby league team. What do you mean? The cro- it wasn't the Sharks? No, the Canberra Raiders. <sighs> I'll turn his microphone off again if he's going to just correct me with facts and bullshit like that. Uh, so, I haven't worked out how many points all up that is, but let's go Sharks and that whole joke goes. Canberra Raiders. All right, I'll... Anyway, that wasn't the question. The question was... The correct answer. The correct answer was pissing in your own mouth. And when is that an incorrect answer? Live stream's good, isn't it? Um, okay. Um, add up your answers. Post them in the live chat or on the twitters. Now, no, no, no. A, a, a sting, and then I'll tell you what's going on. Now, the bad sex part of this podcast uh, came about uh, because I was um, oh, dry throat. Uh, the bad sex, um, because I, I was just reading some of it. Uh, this, there's so much bad political sex fiction around uh, at the moment. Ah, right, platypus. According to Spooky Stew, who you know, Todd Carney has previously played for the Cronulla Sutherland Sharks, Sydney Roosters and the Canberra Raiders. So there you go. I'm not turning your microphone on because you'll only start complaining about something. Anyway, the bad sex part... Um, yeah, there's a lot of bad sex fiction about. So let me um, read a segment uh, from one of Chuck Tingle's books. 
Um, he's quite a remarkable writer. He churns out uh, these uh, bad gay sex fiction stories of about 4,500 words or so. Um, and they're bad. So this is this is <laughs> this is such a disorganised bit, isn't it? Um, anyway, I can probably edit some of that out. Except I'm not really going to edit that out. You may remember uh, during one of the presidential debates, Mike Pence, uh, vice president of the United States of America, um, had a fly on his head, which was. Uh, Inconvenient for him. So, hours later, uh, Chuck Tingle posted a story called Mike Bence, not Mike Pence, obviously, a completely different person called Mike Bence, pounded in the butt by his handsome werefly. And uh, I'll skip some of the early part. Uh, but later up, Mike Bence is, is in his dressing room. And a door opens slowly. This is Chuck Tingle's writing now. Okay. The door opens slowly and a dark-suited humanoid figure enters. The second I lay my eyes on him, my breath catches in my throat, not just because of how incredibly handsome he is, but in recognition of the great service he's already provided me this evening. There before me is the buzzing insect who landed on me earlier, and he now... He's grown and transformed into a sexy, bipedal being. You're the fly, I observed. This being Mike Bence, obviously. Werefly, he corrects, at least for another few minutes. When the full moon dips below the horizon line, I'll change back. But right now, I have a handful of physical states to choose from. His words cause a pleasant warmth to envelop my soul wrapping me up in their evil embrace while I savour the presence of this devious creature. The full moon was nice, but having an encounter with an actual werefly puts it over the top. This all feels very, very evil. Thank you so much for landing on me during the debate, I offer. My assistant says I shouldn't give away my connection to the endless cosmic void, but it can be very nice when it's subtle. You really gave me a second wind up there at the end. Glad I could help, the Wearfly offers. I'm a huge fan, so I'm glad I could get involved. The idea of this creature of darkness being a fan of mine is crazy, and I feel deeply honoured by his words... I already have a lover in the spooky scarecrow at my office. <laughs> yes. Okay, Mike Bence has a spooky scarecrow in his office who's his lover. Okay, yeah. But I can't help finding myself incredibly attracted to this fetching werefly. I'm a fan of you too, I finally reply, adding a large helping of flirtation to my voice. Oh, okay. I'm a fan of you too. There we go. The werefly raises an eyebrow over his strange cross-hatched globes. In, uh, his eyes, obviously. Intrigued by my change in demeanour. Oh, yeah? He coos in return. I stand up. Yeah, I continue, walking towards him with vice-presidential confidence. Looks like we're reciprocal fans, but maybe we can reciprocate in other ways.
The tension continues to build as we stand achingly close to one another, just waiting for someone to take the plunge and make their move. We stay like this for what seems like forever. What's your name? I finally question. Beelzebo, he informs me, because obviously he is. Well, Beelzebo, I reply, it's time to hail to the second in command. So not the chief, but like the penultimate chief. Hail to the almost chief. I get it, the wearfly replies, coming in and kissing me deeply on the lips. Suddenly the two of us are all over one another, tearing away clothing and tossing it to the side. I pull off Beelzebub's suit to reveal a perfectly sculpted torso underneath, his muscular chest and abs absolutely breathtaking. I can't help but run my hands across his chiselled form, admiring his frame as he continues to strip me down to nothing. Soon enough, both of us are completely naked. As me and the werefly kiss... My attention draws lower and lower, eventually stopping when I reached his waistline. I hesitate there for a moment, teasing him with the prospect of more, but holding back. Please, Beelzebo whispers in my ear, his voice humming with a faint buzzing cadence. I need your vice presidential touch. I keep up the tension just a little bit longer and then finally have mercy, reaching down and wrapping my fingers tight around the werefly's aching rod. Beelzebo lets out a long moan of satisfaction as I begin to pump my grip up and down his length, working him as at a steady pace. This is... So, yeah, this is Chuck Tingle. I... I <laughs> Genuine Pope's just said on the, the chat, we're all shocked into silence. <laughs> Pence Ultimate, says Tim Holland. That's actually quite a nice thing, really, as a phrase goes. Let me just check how I'm going for timing here because, I mean, much as, you know, I'm sure you want to know how, uh, not Pence, Bents, Mike Bents and the Wearfly uh, get along. Uh, we do have other things uh, to do in this hour. Oh, no, we're good. We're good. <laughs> Plenty of time there. Uh, where was I? I was... Well, Mr. Bentz was at the waistline. Wait, someone just checking. Uh, is Jackie Trad is gone? Uh, yes, says the platypus in the background. Um... Qatar's Prime Minister offers a sincere apology to Foreign Minister Maurice Payne. Well, I don't think it was the Qatar uh, Prime Minister who had his fist up Maurice Payne, so I don't know what that's all about. It's not long before the werefly starts to pump back against me, falling into sync as he grinds his hips in time with the movements of my hand job. He's loving this. But after the moment of darkness he'd blessed me with this evening, this werefly deserves so much more. Overwhelmed with arousal, I drop down to my knees before the handsome creature, gazing up at him with cock-hungry eyes. Just, just Mike Pence saying that, cock-hungry eyes. Imagine Trump saying that. 
Imagine Trump having cock-hungry eyes. Uh, that's this is all me speculating. This is not Chuck Tingle. Chuck Chuck Tingle may be a weird ass fucking writer, but he's not this sick. Um, here we are. Uh, I stick out my tongue and slowly lick him from the base of his shaft to the very tip, taking my time and then kissing the head of his cock with playful enthusiasm. Next. I open wide and take the wereflies member between my lips. I begin to pump my head up and down his length at the same pace as my hand, working him slowly and then gradually gaining speed. Meanwhile, I reach up and cradle his hanging balls, doing everything I can to elevate the stimulation and repay my debt of absolute gratitude. So... I, I, I'm, I'm flicking. <laughs> I'm just flicking ahead to see how long this this scene goes. There's some nice one. Tell me how fucking evil you are. The werefly growls. If you want to take this dick, you better impress me. <laughs> There's quite a bit of frowning from the snarky platypus just sitting over the other side there. Um, and then later, fortunately, Beelzebub is a patient lover. Um, uh, his incredible girth holding tight within my depths faster and faster. Um, yeah. Look, anyway, that's from Chuck Tingle's Mike Bentz pounded in the butt by his handsome werefly. Obviously, uh, fabulous stuff there. Uh, I'll leave that one there. I'll come back uh for some more of that or another story a bit later. Uh, but to wrap up this hour, uh, I want to bring to you some historical names for the penis. Uh, there'll be a link on the podcast website eventually for where these from. Uh, but first up, some nicknames for the penis from the 13th to the 19th century. Bollocks which is interesting, normally used for the balls, but that appeared for the penis around 1300 AD. Still in use, obviously, today. The pin from 1460, the fiddle and the spindle and pulling prick, from which prick comes from the Middle Ages, the plum tree shaker from 1611. Now, usually a plum referred to female genitalia. Remember that, it'll come in... It'll come back to be important later in the live stream. Uh, so the thing that shakes the plum tree is the male counterpart. Uh, the knick-knack, 1686. Now, in modern speech, a knick-knack is just kind of some little trivial trinket or whatever, right? As the compiler of this list notes, well, in the 17th century, it's not far off, something useless or superfluous, the knick-knack. Uh, the silent flute from 1720. The Doodle is 1785, and oddly enough, Dick uh, only dates from 1836, which is uh, quite, quite recent when you think about it. Well, boys and girls, why don't we get on to part two of the sex trivia quiz, eh? because that's what it says on my running sheet. That's what we're going to do now. So uh, I saw someone, Cheryl got 14 points, which is pretty good because some of those questions were a bit obscure. Uh, while I'm going through here, if you've got a moment uh, and you are in the chat, 
uh, please bung your scores in there. Oh, and I should say, if there's anything you want to tell me during the program, if you have a bad sex story you would like to tell anonymously, there is an anonymous form. Let me just double check that it's up. The 9pmedict.com slash the form. And you will see uh, a form there which allows you to put in whatever you like and your uh, pseudonym for going in. Bounce, 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 forms.go. There we go. The 9pm bad sex submission form. Bad sex submission, hey? Um, But, yeah, the 9pmedict.com slash the form, and and you can send things in to me there if you like, and uh, that would be lovely. There, are, oh, oh no, that's I was about to say that's um, there's a response already, but that's um, my test one where it says, when I was about nineteen, I used to masturbate in the train toilets nearly every afternoon. That's not not true. Wasn't every afternoon. R, R, R. I mean, that's the joke, obviously, right? I did not masturbate in train toilets when I was 19 years old. Okay. Okay, on to part two. Tim Hollands, it didn't keep score. Uh, Brett got 10. Genuine Pope, five. Okay, although Genuine Pope whoever that is, has been paying more attention to the Queensland election than to me, which is, I think, reasonable. Okay, this is uh, questions 11 through 20. Question 11. According to Halls of Yore, again, what is a rum doxy? R-U-M-D-O-X-Y. What is a rum doxy? Again, if you've just joined us, don't cheat. Don't put answers into the chat. See what you get. Coralien got eight in the last one. Okay, this was a lot tougher than I thought. Okay, I'm. I'm. Next time I will set up like a Google Forms where you can put your answers in, and then we can work out what worked and what not. Um, which is good. Uh, John Birmingham has just tweeted, by the way, that. As much fun as it is watching the uh, One Nation vote collapsing, don't forget to enjoy Clive F. Palmer getting one-tenth of one percent of fuck all too. That's true. He's uh, spent a lot of money and not really got much in return for it, at least uh, by the numbers so far. Okay. Right. Ah. <sighs> Oh, sorry, yes, question where was question 11, what is a rum doxy? R-U-M-D-O-X-Y. Question 12, what colour was Monica Lewinsky's dress? And a bonus point, what label? Okay, what colour was Monica Lewinsky's dress and what label? 13, according to Cosmopolitan magazine, uh, obviously a, uh, uh, an important statistical um, place. According to Cosmopolitan magazine, after the bedroom, what is the next most popular pe- place people have sex? A public restroom, a car, or the kitchen? 
So after after the bedroom, which is the most popular place to have sex, is the next one a public restroom, a car, or the kitchen? Uh, that's question thirteen. Question fourteen: True or false? Can a guy or, or really anyone with a penis, for that matter, break their penis? Is is that a thing? Is breaking your penis a thing? True or false? Oh, that was fourteen. Yes, that's question fourteen. Question fifteen. Oh, this is this is my favourite. Question fifteen. Uh, I'm going to play you the sounds of three kinds of animals having sex. Uh, Platypus, you want to put your uh, earbuds in for this because I, even if you don't want to play the game, you will seriously enjoy it. Uh, one or two. Okay, so there are three animals here, one point each. What kind of animals are these having sex? Obviously, uh, in that last one, there were some people in the background. It was recorded at a zoo, uh, and there were some other noises in the background too. So ignore the background noises. I'll, I'll play it again because this, I mean, it's nothing, nothing else. It's, is it getting you off? It's getting me off. Okay, what are these three animals having sex? <laughs> feeling um, very few people are going to get that question. But whatever, it's fun, isn't it? Um, no, I won't play it a third time. Uh, so that was uh, question 15, right? So you've got three animals there. Question 16, true or false? The vagina contains a special receptacle for liquefying semen. True or false? The vagina contains a special receptacle for liquefying semen. That's uh, question 16. Question 17. In Siena, which is a city, there's a law which forbids women of a certain name from being employed as prostitutes. Or rather, I suppose, uh, if they are being employed by prostitutes, they can't have a certain name. Either way... Uh, prostitutes can't have this name. What is the name? This is in Siena. That's question 17. Question 18. What is the Polish disease? 
What is the Polish disease? That's question 18. Question 19. What does the word hemipenes mean? H-E-M-I-P-E-N-E-S, hemipenes. What does it mean? And a bonus point for each example you can name. Hemipenes, one point. Every example you can name, point each. That's question 19. And the last one in this section, oh, you'll love this if you're of a certain age, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, the original production, 1975, right? The movie, not any of the stage productions. 1975. Yes, kids, 45 years ago. (laughs) Rocky Horror Picture Show. Name as many of the named characters as you can. Now, named characters are those listed uh, at the Internet Movie Database, IMDb, any character that is listed with a name, apart from a Transylvanian, because there's a whole bunch of them, right? They don't count. Characters with their own individual name. Not the actors, the characters. One point each. That's question 20. So, oh yeah, and bonus point, who was the director of the Rocky Horror Picture Show and where were they from? So there's two points there. Characters in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, who directed it? Where were they from? Write down your answers uh, and uh, we will score them uh, in a couple of minutes. Uh, Now, ladies and gentlemen, as you know, this podcast is made possible by you, the generous listeners. And in particular, this episode, this ridiculous four-hour live stream is made possible Uh, by people who contributed to the 9pm end of spring 2020 possible campaign. And they also uh, made possible five more episodes with special guests. And then an end of year panel show somehow. I'm figuring out the details. Uh, But there's so many people to thank, 90 people to thank uh, for this. Uh, I'll split it into three chunks. First up, the people who are right up the top, uh, with conversation topics, uh, David King, who's a regular, Philip Merrick, and Tim Holland, who's another regular. Thank you so much for your, your generosity. And people who bought three trigger words, Christopher Neal, again a regular, and he's uh, going to burn off his three trigger words tonight. Uh, wait, is that right? I think I've got this confused. John Lindsay is burning off his trigger words tonight. Sorry, Christopher. Uh Devitt. Rami, Wild, and two people who choose to remain anonymous. Thank you to you all for your trigger words. Um, if okay, it's it's the end of that possible campaign. But if you'd like to join them, and as I've said before, there's a lot happening in the world right now, and I completely understand if you can't help. Uh, but if you would like to join all these people uh, and support this podcast and uh, my other online uh, stupidity, uh, go to, uh, no, the9pmedic.com slash tip, the9pmedic.com slash tip, uh, and do the needful. Thank you to all of you.
We need to pray it for the president. This is about morality. This is about same-sex marriage not being approved and blessed in this country. How far do they want us to go? Wait until animalism becomes acceptable and somebody can marry a cow and have perverse sex with them. You think I'm laughing. That's what's going to come. Those kind of things. And I know I'll be mocked and I know that the Huffington Post and others will pick this up and run with it. But who could believe we'd be where we're at now? Well, that finished a bit before I was expecting it to, but who could believe that? Sex with cows, that's Frank Amadia, who indeed sincerely believes that if Joe Biden wins, people will marry cows so that they can have sex with them. Because people only have sex when they're married to something. Right? I mean, the platypus agrees with that, obviously. Uh, Anyway, Frank Amadia, together with his wife, Lara Lee, are co-founders of Touch Heaven Ministries, which is described as an international ministry uh, with, with related churches as well as sponsored ministries in several countries in Africa and Asia. Uh, and uh, Frank and Lara Lee uh, also serve as senior pastors of the Touch Heaven Church in Canfield, Ohio. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, I think you've had enough time to figure out or write down your answers. So let's go back through the answers of questions 11 through 20. Here's your scores. So a rum doxy is an 18th century term for a very attractive female sex worker. Remember, something that was rum was good, doxy, attractive girl, attractive sex worker at least, anyway. Uh, So rum doxy, one point uh, for that. Uh, Also, no points for this, but I just was amused by this one. A gorilla salad is thick pubic hair, Um, (laughs) which is... Yes, platypus, I am grimacing too at the thought of a gorilla salad. Uh, Apparently, according to something else I I saw in my extensive research for this episode, uh, it's about 10% of men have ever uh, shaved or done the equivalent down there. So so that's a statistic for you. Uh, 12, what colour was Monica Lewinsky's dress? 1.4 blue. And the bonus point, what label? It was a Gap dress. So Lewinsky, of course, uh, had not had a sexual affair, sexual relations or a sexual relationship with Bill Clinton, or so Bill Clinton said under oath. Uh, But, of course, it was uh, that blue dress stained with Clinton's semen that she kept and was sent off for analysis. If you want to hear a lot more about this, by the way, there's a podcast called Slow Burn, uh, which spends several episodes looking at uh, an event in... I think they've all been American history so far, but the Clinton-Lewinsky saga all unfolded over uh, quite a lot more uh, time than people realise. I mean, most things in history take more time. They are indeed a slow burn. So they did one on Clinton-Lewinsky. They did one on the impeachment of of, uh, Richard Nixon and Watergate and all that, and there are others since. Slow burn. That was question 12 anyway. Hope you got your two points there. 13, Cosmopolitan magazine, after the bedroom, the next most popular place to have sex is a car. One point if you said that. 
True or false, can uh, someone with a penis break their penis? True for a definition of break. According to the Mayo Clinic, it's a rare thing, but there is such a thing as penis fracture, they call it, when it happens uh, to a erect penis. Now, obviously, there isn't a bone in the penis, or at least there isn't in a human penis, uh, so it's not like a broken bone. But uh, as you heard earlier, there are the corpora cavernosa, the corpora cavernosi uh, that in, engorge and, and make the penis erect. But if the erect penis is suddenly bent or otherwise forcefully a thing, that trauma can rupture the outer lining of one of those two uh, cylinders, which the outer lining called the tunica albugina, and that causes the penis fracture. Um, and there's other ways you can do it, uh, not just badly thrusted, uh, intercourse, but aggre- aggressive masturbation. That's a phrase, isn't it? Uh, so you often end up with a penis that bulges and appears purple, looks a bit like an eggplant, so emoji are, are way ahead of the frame here. Uh, and and, and uh, penis-wielding folks listening to this, you'll be thrilled to hear that the uh, symptoms of this... Whoops... Uh, my, my, my iPad rebelled against the very concept of allowing me to read this out loud. Uh, scroll, 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 scroll. Sorry, but sorry, sorry about this. This is the thing. Um, so this is why you print this shit out on paper. Um, one, two, three. Ah, yes. The signs and symptoms of a penile fracture are immediate penile pain... <laughs> unsurprisingly, a popping or cracking sound, rapid loss of erection, oddly enough, swelling in the penile shaft and discoloration of the penile shaft due to bleeding underneath the skin. Anyway, uh, can you break your penis? One point for true. Sorry if I've put you off your dinner. Uh, Question 15. Okay. (laughs) We're back to the animal sex. Uh... I'll, I'll tell you what they are as we go along. This is a lion first. It's a lion. And this is a tortoise. Quite a large tortoise. Tortoise, and this. This is a panda. Yeah, panda. So, one point each lion, tortoise, panda. And, and did you know Jurassic Park, the movie, the sounds of the raptors? were actually recordings of tortoises having sex. Not all of them were like as high-pitched as that one. Some are deeper, and the ooh, ooh, sound of the raptors in Jurassic Park were tortoises having sex. Brett wants to take half a point for a large cat rather than a lion. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Uh, Genuine Pope says... Uh, not a single Barnaby Joyce at any of them. No, they Brett once. What do you get for turtle instead of tortoise? Brett, have you ever watched Blade Runner? You already know the answer to that.
I know he has. Yes, of course you get a point for turtle. Right. <laughs> Question 16. True or false, the vagina contains a special receptacle for liquefying semen. This is true. Uh, it's called, This is from teachmeanatomy.info, so a reputable university. It's called the posterior fornix, F-O-R-N-I-X. It acts as a natural reservoir for semen after the chap or the the penis wielder has ejaculated. The semen is retained in the fornix. It's then liquefied over the next 20 to 30 minutes, allowing for easier permeation through to the cervical canal. So true, there is such a thing. Fucking hell, this scrolly thing did it again. I'm... And it's got nothing to do with the... With the... Oh, God almighty. Where was I up to? Uh, 16. Yes, true. 17. The law in Siena that, that forbids prostitutes have a certain name. It's Maria. The Virgin Mary, right? Good Catholic country. Can't have a hooker called Maria because Maria was a virgin. You pay extra for that. 18. What is the Polish disease? The answer is syphilis. Because all the countries in Europe, their name for syphilis was the mm disease for a country they didn't like. So in Britain, syphilis was the French disease or the Spanish disease. In France, it was the Italian or Neapolitan disease. In Spain, it was the French disease. But in Portugal, it was the Spanish disease. It was also... Uh, the Polish disease in Russia, uh, the German disease in, in most of what's now Eastern Europe. Uh, in India, it was the European or Christian disease, as it was through most of the Arab world. Although in, in some parts of the Arab world, it was also called the Persian fire. Uh, and in China, it was the Canton rash because presumably because it was a port and that's where they thought it came in. So one point there, the Polish disease is syphilis. Uh, 19, the word hemipenes means having two penises. So one point if you had two penises and and you had enough, um, um, is it Greek or Latin hemipenes, whichever it is, uh, but for that, uh, things with two penises, snakes and lizards, basically. Um and interestingly, how the penis develops and why animals such as, uh, such as snakes and lizards have two and mammals and birds have one, turns out that in reptiles, the penis grows from the tissues that will eventually become the hind legs, or in the case of snakes, what used to become legs, so they get two penises. But in mammals and birds, it's tissue that comes from what will eventually be the tail, so you get one penis. Amazing stuff. Okay. And question 20, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, named actors. There are 12 points up for grabs here. There are 12 named characters, and they are Dr. Frank N. Furter, a scientist, Janet Janet Weiss, a heroine, Brad Majors, a hero, 
I should say Brad and Janet's fine. You don't need to know Brad Majors and 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 um, Janet Vice. Uh, Riff Raff, a handyman. Magenta, a domestic. Columbia, a groupie. Dr. Everett V. Scott, I'll accept Dr. Scott, a rival scientist. Rocky Horror, I'll accept Rocky, a creation. Eddie, an ex-delivery boy who's played by Meatloaf. The criminologist, brackets, an expert. And and two that I had completely forgotten, Ralph Hapshat and Betty Munro. I've forgotten where they even come into things. Two cats as well, says Tim Holland. Is that about penises or Rocky Horror? Meatloaf sucked in... Yeah, maybe maybe reading the live chat is an example. Okay, so as I say, you could have got anywhere between 0 and 12 there. Like, if you didn't get Frank and Fertie or Rocky, what the fuck is wrong with you? Okay, bonus points. The director of the movie was Jim Sharman, and he is from Adelaide. So they were the two bonus points, Jim Sharman and Adelaide. So total up... Um, all of your things there and uh, put it in the chat and then fuck yous I'm I'm going to go on to part three of the sex trivia almost immediately yeah you ready okay see Stu New is from Adelaide Genuine Pope got 19 in that. I th- Half a point for meatloaf. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah, that's good, Brett. See, Brett's got this down fine. I mean, Brett's from Adelaide originally, so, you know, we know that. But, yeah, he's, he's arguing for extra half points. So, sure, Brett, half a point for meatloaf, even if you didn't know the character's name. Uh, oh, Tim Holland says someone on Twitter has cats called... Uh, Magenta and Riff Raff, that's good. Stu got 12 points. Genuine Pope on 19, that is, uh, oh, I said to say 19 is very good, but they've just explained 19 is the total of parts one and two. Okay. Uh, Stu got total is 26. Wow, that is impressive. That is seriously impressive. Okay, let's go on. For part three. Uh, So that's going to be question 21, isn't it? (laughs) Ah, yeah. Question 21. What do the following people all have in common? Tilda Swinton, Mark Wahlberg, Marky Mark, Harry Styles and Lily Allen. They've all got something particular... In, color, in, in common, Tilda Swinton, Mark Wahlberg, Harry Styles, and Lily Allen. Oh, Brett's got a combined total of 20 points for the first two rounds too. Ten, ten each. That's quite good. Stu, total 26. That's still the thing. Okay, if you need another clue for those four, Tilda Swinton, Mark Wahlberg, Harry Styles, Lily Allen, also Bill Paxton... And Carrie Underwood. 
genuine Pope says they're all white. I mean, <laughs> I, I grant you that is true, um, <laughs> but that's not what I'm looking for. Uh, <laughs> oh, dear. Um, <laughs> yes, correct. They are all white. I'll give you a point for that, genuine Pope, whoever you are. That was, yes, well spotted. Uh, so jot that down now. It's not the answer I wanted. 22. According to whores of yore, what are plum blossoms? Plum blossoms. It's from the 17th century. What are plum blossoms? B-L-U-M, blossoms. 23. Okay. Some quotes. Two quotes now. Who said these things? Between two evils, I always pick the one I haven't tried before. And a hard man is good to find. Between two evils, I always pick the one I've never tried before. And a hard man is good to find. Tim Holland says that's easy. Yeah, it is, but only if you're old, mate. Uh, And bonus point, what item of equipment was named after this person? Ah, between two evils, I always pick the one I never tried. So that's 23. 24, what is remarkable about the Argentine lake duck, Oxyura vitata? That's Oxyura vitata, the Argentine lake duck. What is remarkable about that duck? 25, in Thailand... In 1983, for the birthday of the much-loved King Bhumipal Alayadu, what was given out for free? King's birthday, King Bhumipal, 1983 in Thailand, what was given out for free? 26, Tim Holland reckons the plum blossom is easy. All right, we'll see. 26, which of the following is not a slang term for masturbation? This is, again, according to urbanthesaurus.org, finest um, thesaurus in the English language ever. Okay, which of these is not a slang term for masturbation? Drinking Dr Pepper, Caribbean Jerk, Blind Skater's Elbow, Wallpapering the kitchen or Chinese helicopter pilot? So they're drinking Dr. Pepper, Caribbean jerk, blind skater's elbow, wallpapering the kitchen or Chinese helicopter pilot? One of them is not masturbation. Okay. 27, what is the Dutch rudder, R-U-D-D-E-R? What is the Dutch rudder? Rudder like on a ship, but it has nothing to do with ships or boats or coracles or canoes. The Dutch rudder. 28. What percent of penises worldwide are circumcised? This is according to the World Health Organization, a survey done in 2007. Is it 30%? Is it 
is it 40% or is it 50%, obviously to the nearest 10%. So what percentage of penises worldwide, worldwide, according to the World Health Organization, are circumcised? 30%, 40%, or 50%? And that, oh, I've just realised, ah, I keep hitting the scroll to button uh, scroll to button bottom on the side of my iPad. That's why this is doing that. It's very professional, very professional, isn't it? Okay, twenty nine. One of the most famous male porn stars in the world is Ron. Who? Ron who? One of the most famous male porn stars in the world. And for a bonus point, how tall is he? Ron, the porn star, and how tall is he? That's question 29. And finally, question 30. Who does this song refer to? Okay, who does that song refer to? Look, I'll play it again because I'm in a good mood. Got it? (laughs) Okay, back to uh, question 29. How tall is Ron whoever? Spooky Stew asked, tall or long? Um, I don't have the second figure immediately to hand. We will go tall from uh, uh, bottom of the foot to top of the head. That is the top of the skull. Okay. All right. So that's all 30 questions. Give you a couple of moments to get your act together. Uh, Confer with any teammates if you have teammates. I don't know whether any of you do. Uh, And... um, I'll be back with the answers momentarily. While I was uh, researching uh, this podcast, I did find something uh, from Paperback Paradise on Twitter. It was a cassette, an audio cassette. Um, If you're under, I suppose, 30, get, get an old person to explain to you what they are. And uh, this audio cassette was labelled, or so they tweeted, uh, this tape is disgusting, $1. And the cassette is, listen if you dare to the frightening sounds of Halloween sex. The sordid sounds of Halloween, horrifying graveyard orgy with zombies, ghouls and skeletons, eerie dicks, creaking asses, rattling tits, howling mummy sex, moaning undead pussies, blood-curdling cums and many more. Uh, Listen if you dare, uh, they said. Uh, So, yeah, here it is. I'm gonna come. Oh yes, whip my dusty mummy ass harder. Harder, you fucking skeleton. 
Watch out. My ass is haunted. Oh no. P is coming out instead of come. My dick has fallen off. Good stuff, isn't it? If you would like your own copy of that, uh, you need to go to the Twitters, look for Paperback Paradise, and apparently you can just download that from their Patreon page. I think they may charge a dollar for it, although they did say something about it being free. Maybe that's just to print out the cover. I don't know. Okay. Genuine Pope just said, my ass is haunted. Poor donkey. Okay, answers to part three of the uh, sex trivia quiz. What do... This is question 21, as you know. What do the following people have in common? Tilda Swinton, Mark Wahlberg, Harry Styles, Lily Allen, Bill Paxton and Carrie Underwood, apart from being white, yes, they all have three nipples. That's the thing. This is according to BuzzFeed, so let's be clear here. That's what it's about. But also according to Buzz, Shut up, Platypus. Stop laughing. <laughs> they all have three nipples. And also, did you know one in 18 men and one in, in 50 women have a third nipple? Now, I'll just check with the Platypus. One in 18 men. Now, I know... 18 is a very small number by your standards. Um, how many third nipples have you <laughs> encountered? Zero. <laughs> he said zero. I didn't have his microphone on. If you had a third nipple, would you show anyone, though? I, I don't know. That's a curious thing. Anyway, three nipples. Three nipples. That was 21. 22, according to Whores of Yore, what are plum blossoms? The answer is syphilitic sores. On your plum, which was the female one, your plum shaker, yeah, blossoms, little syphilitic sores. While I was researching that question too, I did see some very bad pictures in the Indeed. Um, uh, Yes, medical imagery of syphilitic sores. It reminds me when I... Uh, when I did some work with the AIDS Council of South Australia back in the 90s, um, I, I did some liaison with the Sex Workers Outreach Project, SWAP, who are fantastic people. Uh, but the woman who was uh, working at the AIDS Council of South Australia, as it was called then, uh, had an office where she would, would chat with people. And she had above her desk this enormous colour photograph of a gonorrhea-ridden cunt. Like, it was about maybe 60 centimetres by 40. Full colour, medical imagery, and, I mean, I, it, it was a challenge having a meeting with her because, I mean, it's the, it caught your eye, right? It's the, and it was right behind her head. And I said, that's confronting. And she did say, well, that, that is kind of the point. This is what you don't want. And I agree. Yeah, you know, I, I don't even have a cunt and I don't want that happening at all. Anyway. Syphilitic sores. 
plum blossoms. A comrade ghost on the chat just said the boy next door to her and his little brother both had three nipples. This does strike me as the thing that would be, you know, based on genetics. So Comrade Ghost has clearly been um, hogging the three-nippled boys. There's a sentence I didn't expect to be saying tonight. Quite a lot of them. Uh, Question 23. Who said, between two evils, I always pick the one I've never tried before? And a hard man is good to find. Tim Hollands said, this was easy. Is it? The answer is... Actress, singer, playwright, screenwriter, comedian and sex symbol born in 1893, Mae West. Did you have Mae West? Because that's a point for you. Uh, Some of her other famous lines, marriage is a great institution but I'm not ready for an institution. Um, I'm a woman of very few words but lots of action. One of my favourite, ten men waiting for me at the door, send one of them home, I'm tired. Brilliant woman, Mae West. Uh, And the bonus point, uh, what was named after her? World War II Allied Air Crew's yellow inflatable life jackets were called Mae Wests uh, in part uh, because when they inflated these life jackets, they blew up and essentially became big yellow breasts on them. Mae West's breast, rhyming slang. Uh, but also, yeah, they they became, shall we say, nice and robust like uh, Mae West was, you know, unlike uh, the um, the kind of idealised uh, female form today. Uh, she she represented a uh, a different tradition of of female uh, beauty. So Mae West a point, life jackets a point. 24, what's remarkable about the Argentine lake duck? The answer is it has the longest penis of any bird, which is interesting because most birds don't have a penis at all. It's just all about rubbing cloacas together, um, which is a phrase. Uh, or as this uh, source that I quoted in Nature magazine said, they instead mate by, they mate by touching openings. Uh-huh. But... The Argentine lake duck does have a penis, and in 2011, one was measured as having a penis 42.5 centimetres long, which, of course, is bigger than the duck itself. So if you had, if you had a large penis, you'd get a point, so to speak. Um, obviously, the uh, animal with the biggest penis length to body size ratio is the barnacle, 40 to 1. Odds. 25. In 1983, what was given out free for the birthday of the King of Thailand? The answer is vasectomies. I didn't bother looking up why, but as part of this royal birthday celebration, vasectomies were free. I bet, like, no one got that point. 26, which of the following is not a slang term for masturbation? And they were drinking Dr Pepper, Caribbean jerk, blind skater's elbow, wallpapering the kitchen, and Chinese helicopter pilot. Uh, The wrong one is drinking Dr Pepper because the correct term is drinking Sprite. I, 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 I don't know why. 
find Skater's elbow. I mean, wallpapering the kitchen, I get. That's obvious, right? And Chinese helicopter pilot is kind of like the song I'm turning Japanese, I think, is how that works. I mean, it's racist, obviously, but then so much of this is. Like the Dutch rudder. What is the Dutch rudder? Question 27. The answer is masturbation. Don't know why. So a point for masturbation, so to speak. Uh, the percentage of penises worldwide that are circumcised, this is uh, question 28. The answer is 30%. A point for 30%. 29, the famous male porn star is Ron Jeremy. Ron Jeremy, a uh, point if you got Jeremy. And how tall is he? Uh, five foot six or 168 centimetres, whatever your units of measure are. I'll give you a point. I'll give you that point whether you're within an inch, so five foot five to five foot seven, or between 165 and 170 centimetres, because I'm generous. Okay. Uh, probably shouldn't have used that because uh, Ron Jeremy this year has been charged in June with four counts of rape and sexual assault, and in August another 20 counts over a span of 16 years. Uh, that involved 12 women and a 15-year-old girl. So Ron Jeremy is off our list of people we like. Comrade Go says that Dutch Tiller would make more sense than Dutch Rudder. I think she's right. (sighs) And finally, question 30. Who does this song refer to? What? That's not... Correct, that's the wrong button. This song. The song is by Pop Will Eat Itself. The title is Touched by the Hand of Chickalina from 1999, 1990. Okay, so Pop Will Eat Itself. Touched by the Hand of Chickalina, 1990. Here's a bit more of the song. La Chickalina, I will accept for a point. Eleanor Anna Stoller, S-T-A-L-L-E-R, I'll accept for a point. Who was La Chicolina? She was a Hungarian-Italian former porn star who became an Italian member of parliament and a singer. La Chicolina means the little fleshy one. That was her porn star nickname. Um, so, yeah, a point for that. That was also a World Cup anthem, wasn't it? Which is... Bizarre. Oh, and, and La Chicolina, Ms. Stuller, her husband for a period, uh, for five years from 91 to 94, Jeff Coons, the modern artist, who, for those of you in Sydney might remember, he put an enormous puppy made of flowers in, in front of the Museum of Contemporary Art, which, of course, then, you know, all dried out in the sun and looked horrible. He, he did, right? Jeff Coons, K-O-O-N-S, and not what you were thinking. Um I kind of like what he did. 
did. He kind of does mega kitsch stuff, but he also takes credit for things that he has a billion apprentices like doing all the hard work. So that's it. That's part three and the final part of the sex trivia quiz. Um, I'm really hoping you did well. Put your scores up. Spooky Stew says, oh, Coralie, what was the answer to 21? While we're here, what do Tilda Swinton, Mark Wahlberg, Harry Styles, Liliana all have in common? They all have three nipples. Three nipples, but only one point for that. Uh, I'll keep my eye on the chat for other answers you've missed. Maybe put them through again because I missed some of the chat. But, yeah, happy to give you uh, the answers again. All this is taking a bit longer than I'd thought, uh, but let me tell you about some of the other names for things I, I discovered here. Uh, now, we've, we've had enough penis for all. Let's, let's have some vagina. Eyes roll. Uh, yeah, we're up to that, that time, perfect. This is, uh, I forget the website, but it's uh, by a writer called Miss Jeevious, R-R-R, uh, who had a, a, a blog post with 200 names for the vagina, and I'm not going to go through um, all of them. Uh, we'll say Genuine Pope is in you know, Queensland, 33% counted, ALP on 45 seats, LMP 31, others 7. They're fighting for 10 seats, Biff Powell. Awesome. Sorry, Coralie, total of three. Is that off all three parts or just for Section 3? That's disappointing if it's only three points for the whole thing. Miss Genius has uh, assembled some astounding names for the vagina that uh, she's uh, gathered through her research. Uh, these are in the manky cringeworthy section because, <laughs> of course, I leapt for this. The penis fly trap. Okay. The stench trap. Oh, good, Coralie. Just three points for section three. That's all right. Good. The cock socket. The toothless blowjob. The dick driver or the dick eater. The South Mouth. I I should put up a thing where you could vote for these, wasn't it? Okay, the Cock Sheath. Okay, the Carp Carnival. I, I don't know what that means. The Sperm Bottle. Okay, the Carnal Curtains, yeah. The Dick Microwave. No. The Hairy Taco. Uh, the Bikini Biscuit. The Danny DeVito. The slime well. Oh, I mean, a lot of these are quite degrading, aren't they? The anal alternative. I get the feeling most of these are made up by men, don't you? Uh, the horny halo, jizz creek, the semen locker. One which, yeah, one which I knew when I was a kid. The piss flaps. That's that's just class, right there, isn't it? The whisker biscuit. Uh, the sperm jacuzzi, the lesbian lunchbox, 
the slobber pocket. The south mouth, that's already been on. The furry flounder. These are these are awful. Punani, Poontang, yeah, yeah, the bone connector. The sausage wallet, the banana basket, the badly packed kebab. That doesn't make any sense. The fur burger, yes. The soggy box, yes. Oh, the see you next Tuesday. Or as it says on the next line, the cunt, the axe wound, the cum bucket, the bearded clam. Yes, we all heard these. Uh, Meanwhile, some quick literary penis nicknames. These are literary? Oh, okay, they've been been used in books in polite terms. The, The prick, the rod, the jimmy, the lad, the love muscle, the manhood. The membrum virile, the phallus, the shaft. I want to play the theme from Shaft. That would be great to go out to. Um, One of the things I have been thinking of getting, actually, for the podcast, if I do uh, more live streams, is actually getting a music licence so I can do that. There There is one for podcasts and another one for live streams, uh, that's relatively inexpensive if you have less than 40% music in it and less than a certain number of live streams or downloads per year. I'll look, I'll look at that for the new year because if you, if you kind of buy it now, it only lasts until December 31st because the music rights people are assholes. They make it difficult. I really should just be able to pay like one song and give them 70 cents or something, but, you know. They don't have a a margin in that. There, but for the grace of God, go I. The particular career-killing act we're about to describe isn't something that just anyone would do. But the idea, especially acute in 2020, that you can have an absolutely great career and have that career almost immediately and entirely derailed by a single really stupid act is really chilling. Tubin has been a fixture on CNN for decades, and this story shows how he remained firmly placed among the media elite. Imagine this, a top-tier Zoom call. People on the call, some of the biggest writers from the most respected magazine in the country. Uh, Tubin is on a call with colleagues from The New Yorker, who are playing some... Rich plan- DeMuro was on there? No, no, these are just... This is our oh. generic Zoom. Our Zoom, Zoom oh, okay. video. Uh, His kids planning some special Yikes. election coverage. Uh, along with not only folks from The New Yorker, from uh, New York City's premier public radio station, uh, WNYC, all told about 20 people are on the Zoom call. There's some breakout rooms. Speaking of breaking out, according to press reports, at some point, Tubin engages in an intimate act of self-gratification, seemingly unaware that a Zoom camera is on. For his part, Tubin calls the incident an embarrassing and stupid mistake. New Yorker has suspended the longtime writer. Tubin himself asked to be taken off the air at CNN while he deals with a, quote, personal issue... All say, what happens to Tubin now? His best-selling book about the O.J. Simpson trial, the run of his life, was the basis for the star-studded FX movie. Tubin had other books in development for Hollywood productions. And as you can imagine, this has received huge headlines all around the world. It certainly has. And that report was from KTLA 5 Morning News in Los Angeles last week. Uh, so pro tip, check your camera or check 
that it's not on before masturbating while on a Zoom conference call with your work colleagues or your family or your local member of parliament or whoever, right? Um, <laughs> that's the thing. Which, which when I thought about that, it's like, oh, you, you moron. Uh, and then I found from seven years ago uh, from Suzanne Moore in The Guardian, 10 rules for managing your penis, uh, which I think are worth uh, reading uh, in light of that. Particularly as there were stories then about um, sexting, wine, you know, dipping the penis in white toasters. I don't remember what that story was about, politicians, penises, etc. So here are Suzanne Moore's uh, 10 rules for keeping your penis out of trouble. One, do not involve your penis in sexting. If you are a public figure with a penchant for extramarital affairs... So apparently it's okay if you're not a public figure, right? Uh, <laughs> pictures of engorged members of members of parliament will leak. Look at Peter Dowling, the Queensland politician who dunked his in a glass of wine. This is a terrible waste of wine. What's more, it was red wine, so it must have looked as if there'd been some sort of accident, although I guess white wine may resemble formaldehyde. Okay, either way, it's not a good look. So, correct? Don't. I was about to suggest, look, maybe for do, do I want people to involve their penis in sexting? Um, ask first, I think, probably is the rule in there. To do not neglect your penis, I'm talking about hygiene. Women are subjected to pharmacy aisles full of freshness, wipes and sprays. Uh, that encourage us to believe that without them, our genital area, genital area is just a smelly, slimy mess, but there's no equivalent for men. And if men must encase themselves so prominently in lycra and skinning ge skinny jeans, particularly in hot weather, something has to be done urgently. Three... Do not stick your penis into household objects. I'm, I'm not even going to read that bit. I have friends who are doctors and friends who are nurses and I hear sufficient about that. Four, do not use your penis to urinate all over the place in public. Why on earth is this acceptable? I'm no prude, says Suzanne Moore. But often when I'm walking home, I see guys staggering about, peeing randomly into gardens, bus stops, doorways. It is smelly, horrible and antisocial. If you really haven't been toilet trained by the time you're 18, don't leave the house. Actually, just don't leave the house is the kind of rule we live with now, isn't it? So... Does that mean you can just urinate all over your own house? This is the question I have for you now. I don't know. Five, do not ever put your penis into someone who does not want this. Correct. Six, do not name your penis. Uh, this is Suzanne Moore's view. Uh, she says, mutually consenting adults may name each other's who has whatever they like. Uh, but she complains that 
Justin Bieber's penis has been named Jerry by his fans. Uh, message boards are full of young women and men with naming problems. Quote, my boyfriend wants me to call his penis Cocosaurus Rex. Weapons of mass destruction. Beefy McMahon stick. Blue vein jackhammer or the pink oboe. This comes back to what we were talking about earlier. Suzanne Moore says, if you think these names will add to your incredible sex life, who am I to say otherwise? Well, I am me and I say otherwise. Fair enough. She's allowed to. Seven. See, I'm having trouble with this because seven says, do not derive pleasure from your penis with other men. And this is... She says this because in several countries, attitudes to homosexuality homosexuality are hardening, are, are, and the focus is usually on gay men. In 38 African countries, homosexuality is illegal. Uh, Robert Mugabe has described gay people as worse than pigs, etc., etc., etc. All that may be true. It is true, but, yeah, do not derive pleasure from your penis with other and Go fuck yourself, Suzanne. None of your business whether I derive pleasure from my penis with other men or not. Eight, do not try to pierce your own penis. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I did, some res- did do some research about this earlier and, and by, by all means have it done if you would like to, but you don't, don't, don't try doing it yourself. The photographs of when that goes wrong really are unappealing. Nine, do not try to make your penis bigger by buying bazooka pills or other rubbish offered online. Um, oh, no, there's then a description of lengthening surgery and... Uh, oh, yeah. If you really want to um, have a penile, no, not a penile implant, but if you want lengthening surgery, it means severing the suspensory ligament that holds the penile shaft inside the body and then girth is added by attaching sheets of alloderm. And what is alloderm? It is the skin of cadavers that have had the cells removed, leaving simply collagen. So if you want... The processed skin of dead people inserted into your penis, that's the way to go. Loving this, are you? Oh, this is. And do not mistake, number 10, do not mistake your penis for your brain. <laughs> yes. That one, do it. So thank you, Suzanne, more for that. The 10 rules for managing uh, your penis. Um. Now, we did talk about Donald Trump's penis earlier, the one that's shaped like a mushroom, and was the sex worker Stormy Daniels who had made that claim. Harry Shearer. Uh, You may know the name Harry Shearer from The Simpsons. He voices a number of characters there. You may know him as the creator of Spinal Tap and other things. Uh, He also did a whole... Remake video called Nixon's The One, which takes the actual transcripts of Nixon's secret secret tapes and recreates them with better audio to just show you how fucked up Watergate was. 
Um, so Harry Shearer has a podcast called Le Show, which is a radio program as well. He's been doing it forever. Has wonderful uh, satirical bits in it where he does impersonations of Trump and whatever, because he's a voice actor, right? So he has one regular segment called The Presidentus, um, which yeah, is very good, obviously. Things. But in recent weeks, he has been reposting remakes of his various songs uh, where uh, he's talking about Donald Trump. And indeed, he has an album. Remember what albums were? Well, there was a thing, a musical album, a record, uh, which is coming up uh, around now, called The Many Moods of Donald Trump. Which is a collection of all of the songs um, that that he has done, and look, I want to play one of them without any copyright clearance. But fuck it, Harry Shearer is a nice guy, and if mate, if you sue me for this, I'm just I, I gave you ideas for a segment on your show, and you did use them. So anyway, this is a song called Stormy Daniels. <laughs> This became a big thing now Stormy Daniels Cuter than a bag full of spaniels She's cheap at twice the price Like the Ritz be buried in a very classy tits Stormy Daniels Didn't need any guides or manuals Quick trip to paradise Paid her from my own account Just for Max Clarity Some I never did For any School Or charity Despite what you may hear There's no Similarity I never need Advice She's not a slut I just Help to keep her pie hole shut Stormy Daniels Such a thrill Doesn't come in granules She's naughty And oh so nice Enemies pretend is some kind of sex scandal Acting as if I'm some kind of sleazy sex vandal Just because I have a guy who knows how to handle Lips that can sink my ship It's too much 
Already babbled to in touch Stormy Daniels Could have messed up all my careful planules Tried so hard to put her on ice No dice Now she's sued Last time she'll see me in the nude Stormy Daniels Once one of the all-time great companions Now just away Expensive slice Stormy Daniels by Donald Trump, well, by Harry Shearer, really, and his accomplices uh, from the album. Uh, <laughs> um, huh? Harry Shearer's album that'll be out soon, The Many Moods of Donald Trump. Time for a little more housekeeping and thank yous. There are so many people to thank for this episode, as you know, or for the whole uh, End of Spring series, this episode, plus five more with guests, uh, and then an end-of-year show with multiple guests. I'm really looking forward to that, particularly to finding out who I'm going to book for it. But this batch of thank yous uh, are to really the citizens and foot soldiers who make this possible uh, and contributed to the campaign. Thank you to the 14 uh, Media Freedom Citizens, I call them, who contribute a basic tip. You know who you are. You can find out who they are by looking at the podcast website. And then there's all of the foot soldiers for Media Freedom who, who gave a slightly less basic tip. There's 36 of them, apparently, although I think there were some duplicates in this. So if you want to count, you can tell me whether it's 36 or not. Thank you to Andrew Kennedy, Bob Ogden, Chris Lawrence, Coralie Neumann, David Heath, Dij Bar, DFK, Drew Mayo, Emma Cooper, Garth Kidd, Katie McLaughlin, Carlos Cajal, Leanne O'Donnell, Matthew McBride, Matthew Hall, Michael Harris, Michael Keating, Michael Rowe, Paris Lord, Peter McCrudden, Rick Heyman, Rowan Pierce, Smurfing Bear... Stacey Ryan, Stuart Ells, Sue Rankin, Sil Mobile, Tim Bell, and seven more people who chose to remain anonymous, so many of them. And if you'd like to join them, the campaign's over, as you know, uh, but if you'd like to join them and support these podcasts, please go to the 9pmedic.com slash tip the 9pmedict.com slash tip, or you can subscribe, just click through from there. The 9pm edict is what it's called. You can search for it on the internet. I did say 
somewhere that I would be talking about the US election stuff uh, on this live stream tonight. Um, and I suppose I should, really. I mean, it's, it's four days away and all hell has broken loose. Um, to, to set the scene and, and where my brain has uh, been uh, about this, I'll uh, first play, this is a grab from blah, 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 10 Years First in Miami. Both Donald Trump and Joe Biden are throwing everything at the key state of Florida just six days out from the election. The state seniors backed Trump en masse in 2016, but his handling of the pandemic has seen some put their support behind the former vice president. Catherine Furkin reports from Miami. Around Miami Beach, the effects of the coronavirus are obvious. Cafes and bars that would usually be pumping are deserted. The beach is almost empty. I've been here before when I was a kid and this whole street was, you know, filled. So it is weird seeing it like this. I would think it would be more people down here, especially going into winter. But it's Florida's seniors that have taken the biggest hit. 83% of the state's 16,500 COVID deaths have been over 65s. There's still a pandemic, OK, and... Uh... It's surging. It's a crisis Joe Biden has latched onto, telling seniors Donald Trump is abandoning them. You're expendable. You're forgettable. You're virtually nobody. That's how he sees seniors. The polls show that many are listening to that message, but there's still plenty of support for the president. I think Trump's doing really well. Pandemic had no effect on my opinion with the president at all. It's not just senior citizens that pollsters are keeping a close eye on here in Miami. Cuban-Americans make up almost a third of this area's population and within that group there's been a strong shift towards President Trump. Little Havana is Miami's vibrant Cuban heart. Inside this traditional Cuban cigar shop, there's little unity when it comes to Trump. This guy don't like Trump. I love Trump. We are half Biden and we have Trump. Divided and crucially important, Florida will once again play a critical role in deciding who finds themselves in the Oval Office come election night. Catherine Furkin for 10 News First in Miami. Okay, so it wasn't 10 News in Miami, it was 10 News Australia with a report from Miami, but isn't that amazing? And then something else came to my attention. Um, this is from CNN. This is CNN's Alison Camarota. Uh, and she's talking to the press secretary of Trump 2020, the campaign press secretary, uh, Hogan Gidley. This is just astounding. Hospitals in Wisconsin are near capacity. And so is there, does that give you any pause or the vice president any pause about going there and holding a big rally? Uh, no, it doesn't. The vice president has the best doctors in the world around him. They've obviously contact traced and have come to the conclusion it's fine for him to be out on the campaign trail. The American people have the right under the First Amendment to peaceably assemble, uh, too. Yeah, I mean, that's fine, right? Uh, I mean, oh, you know, are you worried about this big rally where all these people are together? It's no, no, the VP's got medical care. Yeah, yeah. And the others, oh, they got the right to assemble peacefully. You know, right to die, I suppose, too. But the VP will be fine, Mike Pence. He'll be off uh, afterwards back in his dressing room with the werefly having just hot, vicious sex. Meanwhile, in Chicago, and this 
This is definitely not funny, but but this is a thing. The Chicago police say that a woman stabbed a store employee 27 times while another woman held him by the hair after they were asked to wear a face mask inside a store. The attack occurred around 6 p.m. on Sunday at an undisclosed store on the west side, according to a police spokesperson. Two women, 21-year-old Jessica Hill and 18-year-old Jayla Hill, entered the store and were greeted by a worker who allegedly requested that they put on a mask and use hand sanitizer available by the door. The two women allegedly began to argue with the 32-year-old employee. The altercation at some point became physical, and one of the women reportedly punched the worker in the chest. According to police, Jessica Hill pulled a knife out from her back pocket and stabbed the man more than two dozen times while Jayla Hill held him in place by his hair. That reports from The Hill. Um, yeah. I normally, uh, as you know, post links to uh, all of the things I mention on the podcast uh, at the website. Um, I will post some of them this time. I, I won't go through all the trivia questions. I won't, you know, burden you with that. Uh, also, they'd be spoilers for anyone who comes along later. But I will post links to these kind of sound, bite, sound bites. Uh, yeah, America's pretty fucked, hey. Uh, but four days to go. Um, for some time now, I've been... Well, for some time now, I've been... Uh, Jokingly saying 12 more years, but it's it's increasingly looking like that, isn't it? Because Donald Trump and his team are, are kind of preparing the ground for the idea that the election is rigged, uh, that the election result is what happens on Tuesday night their time and anything that comes in later is other people trying to, to rig the election with fake ballots and so on. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, uh, you will know, uh, well, I've talked about this quite a lot with uh, John Birmingham and others uh, about what might happen in the United States after Tuesday. I will say, and thank you to all the people who've um, generously made this possible, John Birmingham will be joining me in the very next episode of this podcast uh, late in the coming week. Probably Friday, so basically more or less straight after the US election. I mean, I know it's Tuesday in the US, which then goes into Wednesday, our time, and I know ABC, the ABC, for, for example, um, has coverage all day on Wednesday. Uh, so, you know, I'll be buying myself a bottle of vodka for that, or maybe one of you will. Um, oh, there's some really good new gins out. Uh, or that whiskey that Dan Andrews was drinking the other night. Um, that I would love to try that. Anyway, check that out. Um, you know where to find me. Uh, but yes, uh, then JB and I will be looking back at the American election uh, late in the coming week. That's going to be fabulous. <laughs> According to my uh, running sheet, which just disappeared off screen. Okay, yeah, as I said, um, in a radio station, you either have a whole bunch of screens in front of you so everything is always on the screen at once or you print this shit out and have sheets of paper just spread all out in front of you. Um, uh, a radio studio for a talk show is not a neat little thing. It's just got to be this kind of wall of information, like one step short 
of, uh, you know, joining everything with lines of red string and putting news clippings on it and so on. Not that every radio presenter is a serial killer. Except in Adelaide. Let me just um, chat amongst yourselves for a second. I'm just going to look back at the running sheet. Note that it's 22.29 or almost my time. We've done that bit. We've done that bit. We're up. Wow, I am exactly on time. And it's a bad sex segment for 10 minutes, apparently. So let's go back and look at... You would not believe that all this is actually adhering to a plan, would you? But it is. This is all planned. Well, okay. Uh, Actually, no, I'll do something else first. You tell me... No, actually, you don't want to hear more about the where fly. Mostly because if I do too much of each one, it no longer counts as a review uh, under fair dealing provisions of the Copyright Act 1986, the Australian Copyright Act. It suddenly becomes, yeah, problematic. Uh, What do we got here? We've got, I, I mean, do we want more? Actually, no, before I go, I'll ask you a question, then I'll talk about some stuff on the chat and then I'll do what you you suggest um so i've got some other stuff here i mean i've got a whole bunch of chuck tingle so tell me if you want more chuck tingle um i've got one called kissing the coronavirus which is its own thing that's by mj edwards there's one, and I read some of this on a promo, Not My President But My Lover by Jessica Stranger, and that's more sex written from um, Donald Trump's point of view. Uh, what else have we got? They're, no, they're, they're the ones I've just got way too... Oh, My Antifa Lover by Jessica Stranger. Um, Chuck Tingle's Pounded by Politics, Volume 3, which is a, a compilation. I, I will just say, since I got all these the other day on my Kindle account, Amazon now recommends nothing but Chuck Tingle or John Birmingham books to me. It's hilarious. Oh, and, and the occasional non-fiction about cyber war. So good. Uh, we've got... Donald Trump's anal impeachment. Uh, what's this one? My handsome sentient face mask protects me despite the ridiculous conspiracy theories that he won't. Also, he pounds my butt. Catchy title, right? Um, what else have we got here from Mr. Tingle? Anal impeachment... I thought I created a sub thing for this. I don't know. I Oh, there's one about Brexit. Brexit pounds my butt and then thankfully decides not to exit it. Ah, <laughs> oh, so much good stuff here. Anyway, uh let me know kind of what you would prefer there. Um so much Chuck Dingle. Like, they're 
four bucks each, right? It's just some of them were like a dollar fifty. You know, this. Well, to be fair, they're only you know forty five hundred words or so. So it's a it's a style. Novellas also. Okay, looking back, um, you can just shout this platypus. Has has Anthony called it yet? No. No. All right. Uh, but you said the Courier Mail had for Labor. Right. Uh, according to Anthony, the target forty seven seats. Labor has forty four. Uh, LNP thirty four. Others seven in doubt. Eight. Rob B. Catter easily holds his seat. Um, I think Anna, Anna Palaszczuk is back in, of course, as leader. She, I think she was in a safe seat. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and Genuine Pope, I think I actually know who that is now. Um, I think it's someone in Tasmania, but we'll see. Uh ALP three seats off governing. That's correct. That's all on on the chart. Greens are claiming South Brisbane, meaning Jackie Trad is gone. That's interesting. Stu says Jackie Trad's gone because of the corruption perception. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Genuine Pope is putting a vote for Brexit butt pounding, and no one else has so. Right. I have not cracked the cover of this before, so let's see. This is a British one. I mean, Chuck is, as he says, a a two-time Hugo Award finalist, but (laughs) that was for one of his stories, which was about space dinosaurs and and butt-fucking because that's his genre. Um, I'd like, I'd like actually, before I get into that, I'm just going to bring up on, uh, on the interweb. Uh, if you go to Chuck Tingle's Wikipedia page, it's got like a full list of um, all of his titles. And some of them are just so incredibly meta. I mean, there's pages and pages of them. Like there's Dom Al Trump pounded in the butt by the handsome Russian T-Rex who also peed on his butt and then blackmailed him with the videos of his butt getting peed on. I mean, Then you get in, like, later up there's there's really meta ones where he just did a series off the course in May 2018, which was Tuesday pounds me in the butt, followed by Wednesday pounds me in the butt, followed by Thursday pounds me in the butt, Friday pounds me, etc. The banana in my butt is a handsome lifeguard. Um... Did he put some of his stories up as a humble bundle in that kind of inexpensive... Yeah, a humble bundle, which he called his compilation for the humble bundle um, discount was pounded in the butt by my reluctance to buy a humble bundle bundle featuring stories with gay characters as though that has some kind of bearing on my own sexuality or the quality of the product, then eventually realising it's pretty good and I'm fine. Um, 
Um, another one, not pounded in the butt by anything, and that's okay. Uh, then there's... <laughs> then, oh, from February 2019, pounded in the butt by my book, 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 pounded in the butt by my own butt. Um, quietly pounded in the butt by ASMR. <laughs> quietly. The entire continent of Australia pounds me in the butt. <laughs> Not the people, I must warn you. The continent. Um, yes. Uh, my husband and I found, find our unicorn and she's a Bigfoot. Also, my husband is a dinosaur. Uh... We are loving bisexuals and they are living bicycles. <laughs> oh, yes, that romance body in America that got all thing. So Chuck Tingle did one called Not Pounded by Romance Wranglers of America because their new leadership is from the depths of the endless cosmic void. Ah, oh, this is a good one. My ass is haunted by the handsome ghost of my unsaved data after a computer crash. <laughs> Bisexual arcade machines work my slot. Four out of five dentists recommend that this toothpaste pounds me in the butt. <laughs> oh, I love this work. It is just fantastic. Um, ALP 46, LMP 34... Yeah, actually, uh, I'm going to cross to um, Anthony in a minute. Here he is about... Uh, oh, he's already started his blurb. I've missed the first bit, but here we and go. And second, who was passed by one nation, and one nation ended up finishing second last time. Uh, and But this time, that's not what happened. The one nation vote has fallen, the LNP vote is done. This is a traditional Labor seat. I mean, they even, they even held on to it in 2012. So that shows you how, norm, how normally safe it is for Labor. And the Labor vote has recovered with Barry O'Rourke um, having been the member now for a term. But again, the votes have gone a little bit all over the place. But still, Barry O'Rourke has been um, re-elected as the member for Rockhampton and uh, One Nation finished third. All right, thank you, Anthony. Well, let's go to David Spears down in Melbourne. He's oh, up inside as host. He's on hand to give us some analysis during the night. David, what are you seeing? Yeah, well, just looking at uh, Anthony there, updating on what is a bit of a choppy count tonight because of this huge number of pre-polls and postals and because of the, the technical issue that he's called out and got an answer on uh, from the Electoral Commission as well. But if anything, over the last half hour or hour, uh, Labor's statewide position has only improved in terms of its um, share of the vote. I want to bring in, uh, well, Federal Labor's most senior Queenslander, the Shadow Treasurer, Jim Chalmers, who's joining us now. Thanks for your time this evening. And look, Anthony's being uh, uh, you know, rightly cautious Jim about Chalmers, things. Jim you can Chalmers. chance your arm, oh, though, perhaps. Off, Do you think Labor off. has won this election? I think you're right to describe it as a bit of a choppy count, David. Uh, there is a lot of unpredictability. We haven't really quite seen uh, an election like this before. But having said all of that, uh, things are looking really good for Labor. Uh, that is a tribute to Anastasia Palaszczuk and Stephen Miles and Cameron Dick and the Labor team. 
uh, it is uh, certainly heading in the right direction in a fairly substantial way. But for all of the reasons that you've identified and Anthony's identified, uh, I think we'd want to see a little bit more before we conclude it for sure. Uh, fair enough. Uh, and I guess, you know, you'll want to wait for the, the Premier herself to make an announcement one way or another. Look, there's already debate, though, about how much of a factor the power of incumbency is, particularly during a pandemic. Uh, you know, we've heard some on the LNP side say all the attentions on Anastasia Palaszczuk, impossible for us to get much airtime and so on. Do you agree there's a point there? I mean, how, how big a factor is this incumbency during a crisis? Look, I think it's a factor, David. There's no use pretending that it isn't, but it's what you actually do with that incumbency that matters. Uh, and what Anastasia Palaszczuk has done uh, is to make a series of really difficult decisions, not just to safeguard people's health, which is the most important thing, but also to safeguard the economy. I think people have realised uh, all throughout Queensland, despite what the media commentary might have been at the time, uh, is that the best way to protect the Queensland state economy is to protect the health of Queenslanders. And she said that she would rather lose an election than lose lives unnecessarily. She meant it when she said it. And I think people have come in behind her in a quite an extraordinary way. Uh, I was on four polling booths today, David, in different parts of the southeast corner. Uh, and I don't think I've seen a leader for some time uh, receive the kind of respect and regard that Anastasia Palaszczuk was getting from the people I spoke to today. The puzzling thing for, I suppose, many uh, watching um, uh, elections recently, Labor does do pretty well at the state level in Queensland, uh, you know, last time around, tonight. But at the federal level, I mean, you, you did have a very poor result last year in Queensland, as you well know. Why is that? Well, it's a source of some frustration, obviously, David. I'm not going to pretend that it isn't. But what it teaches us is that there are Labor voters, uh, not just in the southeast corner, but indeed uh, right throughout Queensland. And the onus is on us. The job is for us at the federal level, uh, the whole team, but especially the Queensland representatives, to make sure that Queensland's voice is heard loud and clear, uh, that's so that we can reach those people who are prepared to vote uh, for Labor uh, and make sure that we make the case uh, for a federal Labor government looking after all of their interests. Jim Chalmers, we will have to leave it there. Thanks for joining us tonight. All right, David, thank, thank you, you David. for that. Matt and Jess. Yes, thank you. thank you, David. We're just going to go back to Anthony Green because we've got some breaking news. Anthony. I was going to call it. Is he going to call it? There's music. Oh, there's a, there's a graphic. He's definitely going to call it, right? Yes, well, at the moment, I think we're, we're prepared to say that we can't see the LNP forming government's election. I'll, do the, I'll fill in the chamber, uh, and it just explains the position of, of why I'm prepared to say that, and then I'll go a little bit more into detail. We are saying at the moment, the Labor Party's... Well, we've gotten to 47. They've just ticked over to 47. I'm not sure which seat that is. But the LNP's stuck on 34. They're just not going up, even if... Even if some of those postals and pre-polls and stuff come in much better for the, for the LNP, there's nothing indicating the LNP can get, you know, at the moment the best they can do is get back to the position they were before the election, which is 39 seats. There's nothing in any of the figures which indicates that, you know, that the what's to come is suddenly going to overturn everything, and they're just too far behind Labor. The only way they can get into government is getting several crossbenchers on, and they'd have to win several of their own seats first to actually get closer in terms of numbers. And the Labor Party's on 47. I'll just see if there's any more seats that we've got leaning one way or the other, and that gets Labor up to 49, and the LNP is still stuck on 34. There are Labor... There are seats... Labor is ahead in at the moment. The only caveat on saying that Labor's won the election 
is that there are still two or three seats that the Greens are really threatening Labor in. McConnell and Cooper in particular. They've won two seats and McConnell and Cooper are still a bit difficult to, to call. McConnell looks better for Labor. Cooper will want to see the pre-polls counted uh, and the postal votes and see if that changes the balance of who's in the lead. But at the moment, uh, the LNP can't form government. The Labor Party will be in office after the election. We are just not sure whether it will be a majority government or a minority government, and if it's a minority government, how many crossbench members I'll need to negotiate with. But at the moment, there's absolutely nothing to indicate anything other than the Labor government returned, and you can't see a way that the LNP gets into office from these numbers. Anthony, thank well, you. Tim Mander, I'll go to you first. Do you agree with that assessment? Um, uh, it's hard to argue, Jess, with that. It's, uh, well, that is obviously... That's it, right? I mean, Labor will form a coalition with the Greens or somebody. It's not an LMP win. Uh, Platypus, I think it's time. Well, hang on, I've got to finish this. We've got to finish this wine and then open the bottle of bubbles because, I mean, no matter who wins, it wasn't about Labor winning. I mean, it's when a result is announced, when Anthony Green has said the thing, that that's when it all happens. And, and I will say the problem in the United States clearly is that they do not have Anthony Green to ex- sort of just be the election. Because, I mean, Nate Silver, right, it's just not the same. Um, I don't know. I just don't know. Why do we even bother? So, yeah, um, we got up to the bit where we said we're going to have some bad sex. And uh, since no one else came up with any suggestions, uh, here's uh, a bit from... Brexit pounds my butt and then thankfully decides... What's the full title? Oh. How do you even work? Computers are hard, people. Computers are really hard. And I'm I'm not at the moment, which is probably, probably the best for everyone. Brexit pounds my butt then thankfully decides not to exit it. Uh, I'll pick up the action from page 15. I can't help but notice how excruciatingly normal everything seems. Across the street, two handsome men are walking a dog together, while a kebab shop to my left serves up some hungry customers. No, serves some hungry customers. They're serving up kebabs. While I was reading uh, the previous bit, I, I really had trouble because I kept finding typos and what and had to kind of have my brain work around them. Anyway, two handsome men are walking a dog together. Yeah, that's London. Um, I see buses. I see taxis. I see everything that I would expect to see despite these dire warnings of an economic collapse. When I finally reach the edge of the River Thames, no one says the River Thames. They just say the Thames. Oh, great. I'm now editing Chuck Tingle. I find a nice quiet bench and take a seat looking out across the deep blue deep blue water and to the seemingly endless grey sky above deep 
blue water, the Thames, shallow, muddy shit. What? I've not even been to London. While some people might find the dreariness of today unsettling, I find it deeply comforting. Yet another sign that some things just never change. Across the waves of the river, I can see Parliament, and I can't help but wonder what kind of heads are rolling over there right now. I'm sure there's some kind of political chaos underway, but I'm certain it'll work itself out. Finally, feeling connected to my own body once again, I lean back into the bench and let out a long sigh, closing my eyes as sweet relief washes over my body. Suddenly... There's a deafeningly loud crackle of lightning in front of me, causing me to nearly fall out of my seat as I let out a cry of surprise. Floating some two or three feet above the sidewalk is a black and blue seam of electricity, a hovering slit in the fabric of space and time that pours outwards with a sizzling heat. Alex calls a voice from beyond the strange universal rift. I can barely make out the figure's shape, should be an apostrophe in figures, uh, but it appears to be a massive sentient coin, one pound to be exact. Hello, I question, shielding my eyes from the electrical storm that appears to be occurring right before me. Uh, who are you? There's no time, yells the giant coin from the other side of the rift. Come with me. I'm utterly horrified. And, if I'm going to be honest, my first instinct is to immediately turn around and run away. It's only then that I notice something brilliant and burning through the hole in space-time. Within the rift, I can see the Parliament, or what used to be the Parliament, as the entire building roars with a towering flame. Is this what it looks like, I call out. Yes, screams the giant sentient coin. We need your help, Alex. I can't hold this open much longer. Suddenly, all of the fear leaves and is replaced with a powerful, frantic energy. Britain needs me. Just as a aside, I'm reading this cold. Like, I, I, this is literally the first time I have seen these words on the page and... So, yeah, I'm just quietly, I'm not bad with a cold read. I, I had a, anyway, Britain needs me. Without another thought, I jump up from the bench and run forward, diving through the transuniversal slice and ending up carried to a hellish landscape of fire and smoke on the other side. Where am I? I ask this mysterious pound. What's happening? If you're like me, you have probably just realised there's a really bad pun coming up. About pound. But I'm just guessing. I'm just guessing. But I think we know the genre by now. Where am I? I ask this mysterious pound. What's happening? You're in the future, explains the giant sentient monetary instrument. (laughs) But but it's not safe here. Follow me. 
The pound takes off, floating along the edge of the river, which I now see is blood red and bubbling like the lava of a molten volcano, as opposed to the lava of another kind of volcano. This is terrible. Many of the once familiar buildings are gone while others still burn in bearmoth pylons of flame. Strange creatures circle the sky in red uniforms with large black hats dressed the Queen's Guard, that should be dressed like the Queen's Guard, but with leathery reptilian wings and extended knife-like teeth. How long has it been, I ask the living pound as we hustle along. 70 years? 80? It's been a month, the sentient currency tells me. A a month, I stammer, but how, how did this happen? Suddenly, bullets strike in rapid succession across the ground beside us, fired from above by one of the monstrous winged guardsmen. This way, the floating coin shouts, leading me past the wreckage of a toppled four-story bus. What? The pound sees me looking at the strange vehicle and offers a quick explanation. Oh, oh, good. Thank you, pound. Uh, To make up for lost... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. To make up for lost revenue, we invested in four-storey buses instead of the traditional double-decker. They were too top-heavy and started tipping over everywhere. It was utter panic in the streets. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, Where are we up to? What about the guards, I question? The government couldn't afford to pay the Queen's guards anymore, so we used these unfinished snake and bat hybrids that MI5 has been developing, explains the coin. It was not a good idea. I can see that, I tell him. Of course, what I'm most curious about is how the future managed to create a massive living, breathing pound, but I say nothing. (laughs) Finally... Finally, the two of us find an abandoned pub to duck into, hidden from the strange, uninformed uh, uniform monsters who circle menacingly in the dark sky above. The coin slams the door behind us and locks it, then staggers over to the bar and grabs a bottle from behind the counter, pouring himself a drink. You want some? The living economic unit asks. Do you get a feeling Chuck Tingle has, has a thesaurus? Anyway... I nod, sure thing. The coin pours two glasses and hands one to me and then takes a seat at a nearby table. I follow his lead. Sitting in the chair across from him and taking a long sip from my glass, the pub is eerily quiet, utterly devoid of any patrons. I suppose that's going to be convenient for things that have come later in the story, I suppose. What's your name? I finally question, breaking the silence. Apparently Chuck Kingle just say, I ask. I finally question. Perba offers the coin. I already don't. Perba, P-E-R-B-E-R. What might that mean? I don't, I don't know. Perba offers the coin. I already know yours, though. Uh, how? I continue. Perba brings out a wine bottle from under the table and uncorks it and then lets a rolled-up letter fall out between us. He unfurls it and hands it over to me. Look familiar, the sentient pound asks. 
It doesn't, but I don't say anything. Just take the page, read aloud. Dear future Brits, I begin. I'm so sorry we really messed up. If anyone in the future finds this, please know that I could go back, that if I could go back and change the way things worked out, I would. Whoa, I'm so drunk right now. Oh, well. I stop abruptly finding my own name scribbled at the bottom. Do you remember that and throwing that in writing? Do you remember writing that and tossing it in the river, asked Perba? I hesitate and then finally decide to answer honestly. I was pretty drunk. The coin looks a little concerned but pushes that expression away as quickly as it arrives. He tries to change the subject. So... I'm sure you're wondering how we all became giant floating coins, huh? The pound asks me. Actually, yes, I confess. Did you say all? The pound nods. As in everyone became coins, not just you? The pound lost so much value that we had to make up for it by by becoming pounds ourselves, Berber explains. That doesn't really make any sense, I tell him. None of this makes sense, the coin counters, but it's all we've got left. You're all we've got left. Although it says here, you're all we've goy left. (sighs) I did see someone else say that Chuck's stuff is full of typos, but he just, like, churned them out in, like, about 24 hours after an event happens. So, bravo, bravo, Chuck Tingle. You are a force of nature. I take a long sip from my drink, finishing the whole thing in one gulp and then slamming the glass down on the table. What do you need me to do? I question. Why is this written so badly? I question. You need to go back to the past and warn them, explains Perba. We'll send you back months before the vote and you can get the word out about the four-storey buses, the winged monsters, the living coins. They'll have no choice but to vote to stay in the European Union. I'm going to leave it there because we're coming towards the end of the third hour and, and, and my brain is melting. And I need to uh, finish this glass of wine, so um, uh, so uh, well, so that we can pour the Anthony Green called it champagne. Well, not champagne because it's not from champagne, but you know what you know what I mean—the bubbly stuff. Uh, so let me just flick through here to see what happens next. Oh yes, what happens is this. Testing. Testing. Oh, no, no, don't test any longer. No. Uh, I'll tell you the worst job I ever had. What was that? The worst job I ever had was with Jane Mansfield. You know, she's a fantastic bird, you know, yeah, a big yeah. tits, huge bum and everything like that. But I had the terrible job of retrieving lobsters from her bum. Really? Bloody hell, that must have been a task. Boy, it's quite a task, because she had a big bum and there were well, big I remember, lobsters. I remember she had a huge bum. Well, she had one, and, uh, you know, presumably in the afterlife... Uh, oh, shut dear. up. She still has one. 
But I have to used to go round, you know, of an evening yeah. when Jane was sleeping, or sort of comatose, like uh, yeah. you know, you know, yeah. you know, just lying there, comatose, and comatose to her head, <laughs> comatose to her head. Shut up. <coughs> and uh, I had to retrieve these lobsters from her arsehole. Yeah, well, I remember she had a lot of trouble with with lobsters up her arsehole. Well, you see, the lobsters... Basically, she suffered from uh, what was known in, in the medical trade as lobsters up the arsehole. Well, this is what it said scientifically, you yeah. know, lobsters up the bum, you mm. know. This is a scientific uh, term for it. But, you know, in general terms, it was known as lobsterissimus and bumbacissimus. Yeah, yeah. And it was my job every evening to go around to Jane, mm. who was a sweet girl. Yeah. Sweet, charming, shy, mysterious girl. Yeah. And get these fucking lobsters out of her arsehole. Yeah. Which is so tricky because she was a very sensitive woman, you know. Yeah, yeah. I used to go around there every evening and these lobsters, you know, she used to go out bathing in Malibu. Yeah. Which is where she used to go out bathing, you yeah. know. Yeah, old Malibu, yeah. Malibu, yes. Malibu de bum bum. And um, up went the lobsters, boing, straight up her arsehole. Well, I think, you know, I think she brought it on herself, really, didn't she? <laughs> Not so much brought them on herself, so much encouraged them, you know, yeah, by yeah. the flagrant display which she got up to. Well, I think she was a dirty car. Well, I mean, being no, 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 be fair. Be fair. You can call her a dirty cow, but, let's face it, a lot of lobsters fancied her bum. Yeah, well, I think, uh, let's face it, I think it was a 50-50 arrangement. I think yeah, that, I, the, I lo the lobsters didn't say... We have the upper hand. No. Jane didn't say we have the upper hand. There was no, there was no feeling of uh, domination. No, it was a 50-50 thing. I think the lobsters got quite a nip out of it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think Jane got a lot out of it. Yeah, but it was my job. My job to retrieve the lobsters from her bum after the event. What event? Post hoc to proc. But post what? Post hoc to prompt. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what it is in Latin, you know. Well, getting lobsters out of people's bums. Oh, post off the prompt, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, when, uh, But she was a sweet girl and I wouldn't knock her. Well, I gather you wouldn't, no. No, I gather I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't either. I mean, Jane Mansfield was uh, a remarkable woman, despite the way lobsters just went up her arse as... Uh, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore, a.k.a. Derek and Clive, just explained. Some of you who are uh, aficionados of old, like, 1960s British comedy will know that. It's worth digging out. They're all on YouTube. Uh, just search for Derek and Clive. Basically, although they were characters that Peter Cook and Dudley Moore had developed for television, the Derek and Clive albums, I mean, people did like by audio recordings of comedy uh you know during the 1960s indeed but the Derek and Clive audio recordings they literally just got a couple of bottles of whiskey and went into a studio and improvised maybe off of there and you can hear that if you listen to it again you can hear that slight pause as one of them kinds just tries to process what the hell they've just heard um, and move on. Uh, yeah, Derek and Clive, look for it on YouTube. 
Okay, so I am seeing tweets to say Anthony Green's projection is, yeah, Labor win, 50 seats. Uh, the target is 47 for government. Uh, he's called it 47 now, so there's the Labor win without coalition with the Greens or anyone else. Uh, I also saw a tweet, where is this? I think this was Wolfcat in Melbourne. Uh, no, it wasn't him, but someone saying, someone's watching Sky News and apparently uh, Alan Jones's dismay is something to behold. Um, maybe I'll grab that and play it uh, in the podcast we do with uh, John Birmingham next week. Oh, went way off microphone there. That's very unprofessional of me. Possibly due to the amount of wine I've been drinking. Uh, Liquorland have a good deal at the moment. Um, this is not it that I'm drinking, but they have a a fabulous Tempranillo. Well, an average Tempranillo, but it's like two bottles for 20 bucks, uh, which is not bad. Uh, we are drinking a somewhat better one, and I don't know where the bottle is, but I'll, I'll read out the details in a little while. Uh, but... Where are we up to? 23.08 is the time. Uh, yes, more bad sex, I am instructed by the running sheet. Uh, you know that we were reading from Chuck Tingle's uh, fabulous book, Brexit Pounds My Butt, then thankfully decides not to exit it. And so let's uh, pick it up from where we were. Uh, Alex, the protagonist, uh, has met a giant sentient pound coin from the future who has taken him, taken Alex, through some sort of, well, not a stargate, a time gate to the future and is explaining to Alex that because the pound was so devalued after Brexit that everyone... Um, became a sentient pound coin. And that hasn't turned out well. So they're about to persuade Alex to go back into the past to warn people. I don't know if they're going to believe me, I inform the coin. Besides, if I go back and prevent the vote from happening, then I won't know to come back and prevent it in the first place. It's a loop. It doesn't make any sense. Perba, who's the sentient pound coin, shakes from side to side. No, no, the living coin uh, counters. It just creates a new timeline. This one will still exist, but at least you'll be saving the others. Still, I argue, no one will believe me unless you come back with me. I see a twinkle in Perba's eye as he hears this, you think? Absolutely, I tell him, standing up from my chair with a renewed faith in our plan. All right, let's get started. How do we do this? Love, explains the coin. All you need is love. I stand there in silence just staring at Perba as I wait for him to explain himself. We need to make love to each other, the coin continues. What, what, I blurt? In utter shock, the coin nods. 
Then how'd you come back and get me, I question. That was love as well, offers the living pound. The love of my country. Love is the most powerful force in any universe, capable of transcending space and time. Unfortunately, I've already used that particular patriotic form of love. Now we need to harness a different kind. None of this makes even the slightest bit of sense, but there is something about the way that this massive sentient pound carries himself that actually makes me kind of excited about the prospect of learning to love him. There's no denying just how handsome he is with that perfect circular ridged edge and his flat golden surface that glints under the dim pub light. I've never experienced sexual feelings for another male before, but right now there is no denying the way that my heart beat quickens, the way that I yearn for his powerful monetary unit touch. I, I think you might be onto something I finally offer, walking around the table and pressing myself up against the massive coin. I run my hands up and down across his cool surface, taking note of every subtle edge and texture. My cock is quickly stiffening within my pants, growing harder and harder with every passing moment as I wallow in the presence of this beautiful currency. Suddenly, I can't help myself any longer. I drop to my knees and take the coin's cock in my hand, a thick golden rod that has somehow emerged from Perba's front. I, as an aside, I'm, I'm having trouble visualising. Well, well, well I, I, I am and I aren't. That's the thing. Uh, does this look like... Is that the leader? Oh, hang on. We need to we need to cross over to the uh, uh, to the uh, the ABC because we seem to have a speech of some sort uh, coming up. Sorry to take you away from the sentient pounding. Anastasia Palaszczuk. There she is. Yeah. Yep. That's Anastasia Palaszczuk's mother. There, obviously, incredibly proud. And then there's her father. The seat's only been held by Palaszczuk since it was created in 1992. This victory tonight is all about the Premier. Labor ran a presidential campaign. I think her face was probably on every core flute around the state. Correct me if I'm wrong, on every how to vote card. was on the how to vote cards, like $300 notes, like our opponents. And in this last term, she has dealt with bushfires, floods, but... It's her record with regards to the handling of coronavirus that she ran on. And Jess, we're told that Deb Frecklington has not yet conceded. She hasn't delivered that concession to Anastasia Palaszczuk. So until that happens, I would imagine that it's, it would be unusual if she was going to claim victory. But we'll hear from the Premier very shortly, it would appear. Just about to be summoned to the stage.
wonderful to be here at the Inala Bluefin Fishing Club. Can I first of all acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we gather and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Can I acknowledge the wonderful President of our party, John Baddams. of our Labor Party workers right throughout Queensland. <laughs> to all of those community workers and friends that have joined us on this effort and the mighty union movement who stands up for workers' rights every single day in this state. Can I also especially acknowledge uh, the Deputy Premier Stephen Miles for his outstanding job uh, with the health response and working with me every day. So I really want to acknowledge Stephen. And my other good friend, the Treasurer Cameron Dick as well. Most importantly, can I acknowledge the people of Queensland. It has not been an easy year for many, many people. For many Queenslanders, I know it's been an incredibly tough year. It's been tough not being able to see your family and friends in other states or even around the world as we've been in the midst of a global pandemic. But here in Queensland, we've all stood strong and united and together we're on top of the pandemic. And if we continue to work together, we will stay strong. I grew up a few streets away from here. And as a young child, education was important and family was important. There's nothing more important than family. There's nothing more important than the dignity of work and people being able to get up every morning to be able to provide for their family. And this year has been tough because of COVID. Many, many people have lost their jobs through no fault of their own. And I know that during this election, there are many people out there in Queensland who have voted Labor for the very first time. I thank you from the bottom of my heart and I will return that respect every single day. <laughs> Queensland is the best place on earth and it is the best state of Australia. And Queenslanders are tough. And I get my inspiration every single day by the people that I meet. Whether it's up in the Torres Strait, whether it's out at Longreach, whether it's in my local shopping centre here at Richlands, whether it's in Rocky, 
whether it's in an apprentice shop, whether it's in any business right throughout this state. And the guiding principle is we all want the best for each other. We all want the best. And we go through tough times and we work together and we listen and we get through it. But I also know that we need to have a strong recovery plan. This has been a tough year and we've got to get people back into work. And I give my commitment to the people of this state that my team, we will roll up our sleeves and we will get back to work as quickly as possible for you. with a majority Labor government. And we will ensure that our growing state has the nurses and the doctors that are needed for their hospitals. We will make sure that we have those police officers that are needed right across the state because we value the work that our frontline officers do, the paramedics, the firefighters. These are the people that, when times are tough, stand with you, that get through you, get through things with you. They're by our side and we will back them. And our state is an incredible state. It's diverse, it's got so much talent and it's got so much depth. And our regional plans are going to be tailored for each region to ensure that we are matching the needs of that community with the skills and training of the young people to give hope and opportunity for every young person to achieve their dreams in this state. And we will do that together. So to my cabinet, can I thank them for their hard work? Get back to work as soon as possible. <laughs> to all of the, to all of my uh, caucus colleagues, and also to to all of our members that actually ran for the Labor Party as well. Thank you. And I also want to uh, commend the leader of the opposition for what I think has been a very good campaign. It's the first time that two women have gone head to head. And I think people might comment that it was a much more respectful debate than uh, we have seen in times gone past. Now, I would get in trouble if I didn't mention uh, Bruce Saunders in Maryborough, because we are going to be making trains in Queensland, friends. Manufacturing is at the heart of everything that we do. And we are going to make sure we make more here in Queensland. We don't need to import as much. We've got the talent here. And finally, let me say this. It's been tough. There's been people that have, um, for example, in aged care, that have not been able to go out to go and do their normal things and see their family. We've had people in hospitals who've been sick and haven't been able to, to see their friends and family as well. COVID has taken an incredible toll. But Queenslanders stood strong. We kept Queenslanders safe. 
and I want to thank Queenslanders for the work that you have done. I am humbled and grat- and I'm deeply humbled that I am the Premier of this great state and you have placed your faith in me for the next four years. There has never been a time like this in our lifetime. And I hope that we get through it stronger and better. And we don't look back in about the, about the crisis that was, but how we came out of it stronger and better in the future. I also want to uh, acknowledge uh, the, our National President, Wayne Swan, who's with us here this evening as well. Thank you, Wayne. And I'd like to acknowledge my family because family is everything. I know every single Queenslander out there, out there agrees with me. There is nothing more important than family. And when times get tough, as they have in the past, it's your family that's there to support you in the good times and the bad. And we stood strong, Queensland. We stood together. We stared down our critics. And we've come out of it all the better for it. So I thank Queensland. It's an amazing privilege and I promise you that I will roll up my sleeves tomorrow, get back to work and continue to build a better Queensland. Thank you. Now that's uh, Anastasia Palaszczuk's uh, victory speech there. Um, So I'm glad she finished because I've got some other things to fit in before midnight. Uh, But what what is ridiculous is that Deb Frecklington, uh, the LNP leader, was doing her victory... uh, Sorry, (laughs) victory. Her concession speech at the same time. She started after Anastasia. Now, what's interesting about that, to me... And to the platypus here in the background, we've been talking about that while all that's happening. Oh, yeah. That's a very pink jacket, isn't it? Um, Is that how these things are normally done is you get a concession speech from the losing candidate and when they're finished, the winner comes in and does their victory speech. And that isn't a random thing. They phone each other. They talk to each other. What happens is that the person who who loses um, phones the winner and says, congratulations, you've won. I will be doing my concession speech in however many minutes and then their staff all phone the broadcasters to tell them the time it's going to start. Um, And then the winner waits until... The concession speech is done. Now, what happened there is, like, did they not talk? I mean, because Anastasia Palaszczuk, she's doing a victory speech, which, you know, obviously the numbers are there, um, but without a concession speech from Ms. Um, Frecklington, um, I mean, she's doing her concession now. Do we want to listen to a bit? Yeah, let's listen like to, to a bit. congratulate Anastasia Palaszczuk on her victory tonight. 
Now, I may not agree with the Premier a lot of the time, but I respect her as an opponent and as the leader of our state. But most of all, I respect the voters of Queensland. And we are so privileged to live in this democracy. Now, Queenslanders have made their decision, and I thank each and every one of them for voting and for upholding our democracy. This decision is respected by the Liberal National Party. And I am so proud of the campaign that we have fought. And I am so proud of the 93 candidates that ran the good race. Now, our candidates fought hard, but they fought fair. We laid out a positive plan for Queensland, a plan to lead the state out of recession and a plan to secure Queensland's next generation. But, ladies and gentlemen, Queensland still needs a plan. We're in the middle of an economic crisis and it is far from over. So for Queensland's sake, I urge the Premier, I urge the Premier to take action to grow our economy and to create jobs in this state. I urge the Premier to support our most important industries and I urge the Premier to support the regions. Thank you, Ross. Now, I promise that the Liberal National Party will continue to play its part in our democracy. And I will continue to play my part in the Liberal National Party and I will continue as the leader of this great party. The LNP is going to continue to hold the Palaszczuk government to account. We will speak up for those who have been forgotten and left behind. We're going to fight for the families of this great state because families mean more than anything, and just like my family. So to Mum and Dad, thank you for being here tonight. Brother Ross and soon-to-be sister-in-law Joe, thank you for coming down and bringing Mum and Dad here. But also to my sister Jackie and my brother-in-law John and my brother Tim and my sister-in-law Tammy who have fought the good fight in Nanango as well. So I really do want to give a big shout-out to the people of Nanango. Now, she's still going as Deb Frecklington, but, you know, in in a sense of being balanced, (laughs) me balanced, I'd I'd play the whole thing, but, like, she lost, so, you know, fuck it, she's up to family and things. Um, 
live. It's just after 11.30pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time. It is my sad duty to inform you that Sean Connery has died, aged 90. Just came through from the BBC. Obviously, I don't have anything prepared, uh, unlike the BBC and the ABC and others who will have uh, an obituary package ready to roll. Um, I don't, but yes, um, major news organisations have obituary packages uh, which they update on a regular basis so that when anyone famous dies, they have the 10-minute tribute there. Ready to go. If this was a video stream, I'd uh, now show you photographs from that magnificent movie, Zardoz. God bless you, Mr. Connery. Although I think... uh, Whatever. As the Irish comedian Dave Allen always said, may your God go with you at the end of his stuff, which I always, always thought was very sweet. Uh, So, yes, Queensland election, Anastasia Palaszczuk uh, back in. I think that's likely to be an increased majority as well, Uh, though we'll wait for the numbers to come through, but it's certainly looking that way. And I think there's probably going to be enough uh, from the election And uh, just to recombobulate uh, after having uh, learned the news of uh, Mr Connery, uh, I'll play one of these bits which you may have guessed um, is pre-recorded earlier in the day. And in the final batch of thank yous for this episode, uh, I'd like to thank the people who bought one trigger word. There's quite a few of them. I look forward to uh, hearing your trigger words in coming episodes. The names are, and there's so many of these are regular contributors, so I'll sort of make a little beep noise after each regular person that I recognise. Andrew Groom, beep. Benno Rice, beep. Crispin Harris, Bip, Edward Thompson, I think he's new, Frank Filipponi, Bip, John Twyman, Bip, John Eaves, Bip, John O'Ferguson, Bip, Carl Sinclair, oh, hello Father Carl, Bip, Mark Newton, Bip, Matthew Moylecroft, Bip, Michael Crowley, are you new? I'm not sure, Bip, Mick Fong, Bip, Paul Williams, I think, Bip, Peter Blakely, Bip, Definitely Peter Sanderlands, boop. Scott Reeves, yeah, that rings a bell, boop. Wade Baumer, boop. and four people who choose to remain anonymous, because you probably are regulars. I really, I really appreciate these, these amounts that just keep trickling in. It makes life possible. If you'd like to join these people, you know what to do, uh, the9pmedic.com slash tip. Go and do it now while you've had a drink and are feeling kind of loose and careless. <coughs> Elephant stamp time. <coughs> Elephant stamp time. 
Uh, on most of uh, these podcasts, I award elephant stamps of approval for excellence in the category of thinking. And I've got two this time, but uh, I just want to refer to some figures that Anthony Green threw on the ABC screen a moment ago. Uh, Queensland election, Labor up 4.2%, LNP up 1.6%, One Nation down, what's that, he says, uh, pausing it, down 6.1%, Green's only down 0.3%, this is with 54% counted exactly, Kappa up 0.1%, margin of error, uh, United Australia, which is uh, um, who's United Australia these days? Clive Palmer, that's right, up 06 percent. Yeah, fifty-four percent counted. That means nothing. Other fudges around. What's interesting for me here is yeah, One Nation down six percent, and and by that it's not six percent; it's six point one percentage points. And they're only scoring, was it so far, seven? I think the platypus said from seeing it before. Eight. Eight point something down 6.1 to the two level. But that hasn't flowed through to the LNP because Queensland has a united Liberal and National Party as a single party, which Clyde Palmer was one of the founders of. Labor has picked that up. Mostly. Yeah, 4.2, Yes. That is amazing. So a whole bunch of One Nation voters have shifted to Labor because... Do we assume it's because the Premier has handled things well over this? Okay, why, we don't know until we talk to those people. But that is quite... An amazing thing. So, chamber prediction now that Anthony Green's got up on the screen. Uh, Labor 50... Oh, damn, it's gone off screen. Hang on. I can pick that up on my own. (laughs) I've got the stream coming in from ABC News here, so I can basically make it happen a few seconds later. Uh, There we go. ALP 51 seats, uh, LNP 35, then Greens 2, One Nation 1, Cata 3, others 1, whatever how that turns out. So that's Anthony Green's prediction. But yes, if ALP gets 51, the boundary is 47, that's a four-seat majority. They only had a two-seat majority before. Um, So for Anastasia Palaszczuk, that's actually quite the victory. She must be very, very happy. But back to the running sheet. <coughs> Elephant stamp time. <coughs> Elephant stamp time. Uh, in many of these podcasts, not all, because I sometimes get distracted, uh, I award elephant stamps of approval for excellence. Excellence in the category of thinking. And uh, tonight, checks time. Yes, I have two. So the first one um, is to the National Rugby League as an entire concept. Uh, Earlier tonight, Mark Humphreys, um, who's a friend of the pod, 
uh, tweeted, Rarely does a day go by in Australia without a story containing the two most romantic words in the English language, toilet tryst. So why? Uh, that fabulous investigative journalist uh, for the Nine Facts outlets, Kate McClymont, who I must say, I've met Kate McClymont. She's, yeah, a good human being. Kate McClymont has reported today that the NRL's uh, integrity unit has been accused of turning a blind eye to an extraordinary complaint lodged more than a, a year ago involving a star player's toilet tryst, an aggrieved husband who was given prescription medication by a club official and the club's doctor who then provided a false medical certificate. So this is glorious stuff. So... I, I do encourage you to go to either the Sydney Morning Herald or the Age websites or, you know, read them in the papers in um, probably Saturday's papers, maybe Friday's papers. Read it up. So here's the deal. One of the North Queensland Cowboys star players is alleged to have, quote, committed a sexual act with another person, brackets, not his wife, in a public toilet. Um, okay, there's something wrong with my copple and paste here. So uh, the husband was distraught and furious when he discovered a message from the star player to his wife about their toilet tryst in the Qantas lounge, which occurred on Father's Day 2018. So there's a... <laughs> it's a good Father's Day thing to do, isn't it? Just fuck some random woman at an airport dunny. Uh, anyway, alarmed, <laughs> alarmed at what could become a public relations nightmare, I oh, you think, the woman who was employed by the North Queensland Cowboys team um, contacted the club's then football manager, uh, Peter Parr, for help. So here's what is believed to have happened. And... Look, put alleged in front of this because I haven't got the whole Kate McClymont thing in front of me, so I don't know what's alleged and what's proved at this point. So once the husband of the woman became aware of the sexual act, he had shock, obviously, and had trouble sleeping. So it is alleged that the football manager gave the husband some medication to help him cope with the shock. And that was Valium. And the husband didn't know it was Valium. So the other thing is, the husband worked as a truck driver. And truck drivers have random drug tests for obvious reasons. So here a truck driver was pinged for having benzos in his blood test. And the appropriate thing happened. But... Then a doctor, Chris Ball, who runs a sports clinic, came forward to say that he'd had personally consulted with the husband on the night of September 5th, 2018. That claim was false. He'd done no such thing. There was no prescription. But Dr. Ball said, no, 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 he doesn't prescribe benzos, but he just gave the husband a sample quantity of four tablets to help him get to sleep. Now, I will say that the drug companies do give doctors sample packs. 
So I assume that doctors spend, you know, their recreational time just scoffing these sample drugs to see how they work. Um, I will ask my GP next time. I, I will say that I have had a doctor give me one of those sample packs just to, you know, before going on to a formal medication management program, just see if this works for you and then we'll formalise it later. I hope I haven't got anyone in trouble for saying that. But, like, it's a thing. So, um, to, re- to recap, we have a rugby player who's uh, doing the naughty with a woman who's not his wife but someone for the company he works for in a, an airport dunny. We've got a husband who's distraught and furious and then people at the the football club give him drugs without proper medical supervision to calm him down and as a result of that uh, the husband who's a long haul truck driver um, gets pinged for having benzos so all this is all this is magical right this is the wonderful magical world of the rugby league so I mean, elephant stamps for every fucking everybody involved in this, right? This is just a thing. So that's the first. Like, I don't, I don't know where to even start with this. But the second one, the second elephant stamp for approval in the category of thinking, uh, goes to Dwight Turner of that fine American state of uh, Florida, and it's because... Uh, now, you'll like this, Platypus. Put put some earbuds in. You will, you will enjoy this story. Hurry up. I'm padding. I'm padding. I'm padding. I'll let the good people of Local 10 News in Florida explain. A man mauled by a black leopard behind a Davy home. He had just paid to have contact with the animal. Local 10 News reporter Syra Onwar is live in Fort Lauderdale outside the victim's attorney's office. Syra. Yeah, and I just spoke to his attorney. He said his victim spent, sorry, his client rather, the victim in this attack spent a week in the emergency room. He says when he has signed up for this one-on-one experience with a leopard, an attack was not part of that plan. Photos show a victim's bandaged head and ear after he was mauled by a black leopard. Detectives with the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission say this bloody attack happened in an enclosure behind this Davy home on Ernest Boulevard, August 31st. The man who lives here, Michael Poggi, has a Facebook page saying he runs a sanctuary for rare and endangered animals. This video shows Poggi petting a black leopard on a kitchen counter. Good girl. Another video shows him inside the leopard enclosure playing with what he explained is a female leopard. Investigators say Paji charged 50-year-old Dwight Turner seen here $150 for a, quote, full contact experience with his black leopard to, quote, play with it, rub its belly, and take pictures. FWC's report says once the man walked inside the enclosure, the leopard attacked. The injury so severe, the report says the man's scalp was, quote, hanging from his head and his right ear was torn in half. Hello, everyone. I'm Michael Poggi. Authorities say Poggi, seen here in a YouTube video trying to sell little monkeys, was charged for allowing full contact with an extremely dangerous animal and was cited for maintaining captive wildlife in an unsafe condition. 
And the victim's attorney, again, his office is right here. He says that whole experience was illegal, so any waiver that he may have signed before interacting with that leopard is completely void. He's now seeking uh, damages, seeking compensation for his client's pain and suffering. Now, as the story develops, we will keep you updated. But that's the latest live in Fort Lauderdale. Syrah Onward, Local 10 News. Thanks, Syrah. Uh, yeah, elephant stamps to obviously both Dwight Turner for wanting a one-on-one experience with a leopard. I mean, how does that usually go? Uh, and his enabler, Michael Podgy, and his alleged animal sanctuary for rare and endangered animals in his backyard in Davie, Florida, as we all do. So pro tip there, if you want to run a sanctuary for endangered animals, there's a process for that, and and this is not it. Now... Uh, nine minutes to go, eight minutes to go, and some things I really have to do or I'm going to be done. Um, people paid good money to have trigger words inserted into this uh, episode, as you know, uh, and I have four of them. Everyone else um, has obviously keeping their trigger words for later. Uh, I have four trigger words, three of them are from one person, so I'm juggling them up and down in my hands and I'm going to ask the platypus uh, I'm not going to ask him to speak because he's having a bit of a sook about all that but I'm going to ask him to draw two from my hands they're folded up, he can't see them draw out two and hand them back to me thank you Um, and they will be the ones so the first one is there I am unfolding it Bad Sects, S-E-C-T-S, from Matthew Moylecroft, and Maguire from John Lindsay. Uh, Oh, they don't really go together. Okay, Bad Sects. I talk about this on the podcast a lot, don't I? These weird offshoots of Christianity that, that seem a bit strange. If you listen to the episode with Father Carl Sinclair recently, um, you'll understand this a bit. Go back to it. Bad sects. Ideally, at Maguire. So, Maguire is there because it's Daniel Maguire, is it? What's his first name? The supposed lover of the Premier of New South Wales, uh, Gladys Berejiklian. Daryl. Daryl. Daryl, Daryl Maguire, the disgrace. He's up to disgraced, yes, because he's up for fucking criminal charges, isn't he? I think, yes. Uh, Liberal MP who continued to have a, what's the phrase we use these days? Close and intimate relationship with the Premier of New South Wales even after he'd been done by the Independent Commission Against Corruption and sacked, but he continued to be in some sort of, um, you know, beast with two backs relationship with the Premier of New South Wales. The platypus is just, like, looking quite disgusted by that thought. But, look, look here's the thing. Um, right now, I suggest, if you're listening to this, 
just pause. I mean, on, you can't pause the live stream, but if you're listening to the recording, just pause, look up Daryl Maguire and imagine him fucking the Premier of New South Wales. Just let yourself go with that feeling. So, John, John Lindsay, that's down to you, right? You caused that. But the bad sects, S-E-C-T-S, okay, that's normally a religious thing, but I'm going to say New South Wales politics generally. Now, there is a theory which I've promulgated before and which I've had a couple of federal MPs agree with privately. I can't name them, um, unfortunately. Um, did they agree? No, I'm pretty sure we were off record. That whatever the political party, it's the New South Wales branch that's the worst. <laughs> uh, you know, the platypus nods, we do know that. So it's kind of a... It's, it's a religion in the sense that a, a really bad sect, S-E-C-T, often ends up being some really strange power game involving sex and money and control. And every political party in New South Wales is like that, except possibly the Greens, where they're just useless. Um, but that's where we are. I'm... I'm hoping that's enough of a conversation for you. I know John Lindsay won't mind because he's the thing. These next two are both going to be John Lindsay's and I know what they are. So that's one. Data retention. Oh, you cunt. Um, And schadenfreude. Okay. How can I link these two? Schadenfreude, uh, for those of you who don't know German, you, you really should know it listening to this podcast. It's the feeling of pleasure you get from observing the misery of other people or the misfortune of other people. Schadenfreude is just a wonderful word. It's when you go, ha, ha, you are suffer in your jocks, mate. That's probably the Australian equivalent. Data retention. Okay. So this week, he says, at two minutes to midnight, I'm going to run past midnight, I hope you cope. This week, the Parliamentary Joint Commission, uh, the Parliamentary Joint Committee on Intelligence and Security, the PJCIS, delivered its final report on its review of Australia's data retention laws. Uh I tweeted so much about this. Do I bring it up in front of me? Um, just as an aside, uh, Comrade Ghost says Gladys could do so much better. Well, yes. Yes, obviously. Um, I'm padding. Yes, I'm trying to avoid talking about the data retention thing. The committee actually came back and made a lot of good suggestions. Um And now I'm trying to remember what they are. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me just check Thread Reader. The great thing about the podcast later is that I will be posting this as a one single four-hour podcast. 
Um, but oh fuck! What am I doing here? This bit will be edited out, obviously. Um, ah, here we go. The great thing about Thread Reader is that I can just pull up. Yeah, threadreaderapp.com. Punch in the URL of the first tweet in the thread. It'll turn them all in one page. That's up being compiled at the Internet Archive. Uh, so, so here's the thing. So the thing at the moment, with 40 seconds left till midnight, is that telcos keep, for two years... Uh, which IP addresses customers were using at a particular time, the sender recipient time and size of emails and messages, the time and duration of phone calls, blah, 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 blah. Now, law enforcement and intelligence agencies can get that data on their own say-so without a warrant. It just has to be approved by any officers above a certain rank. But when you count all that, it's like thousands of people. And the one exception is if the person whose data is being requested is a journalist. For some, well, I, I'll explain what the some reason is. Uh, in which case, you need they do need a warrant. It's called a journalist information warrant. Um, now, this process doesn't work, I will say, because you don't get a warrant for the journalist's data because that means you have to get a fucking warrant. There's a lot of paperwork. You actually think, who might have spoken to this journalist... And you pull all their phone records without a warrant and see if the journalist turns up in any of them. So it's this whole stupid thing that was rushed in at the last minute because the journalists insisted, or the Canberra ones, and it, it's pointless. It was their last-minute sook. The other one is, of course, like sometimes the cops forget that they need to get a special warrant in this case. Oopsie, I'm sure it happens by accident. Okay, so the, there's 22 recommendations um, in this. I'm not going to go through all these. It's already gone midnight. It's a minute past midnight. But the best one is, so you know how they can only get metadata, as it's called informally, although that's not in the, in the law. They, they can't get the content of a communication. So the PJCIS has said, like, can we actually define what that means? <gasps> That'd be good because you remember um, Australia's favourite Attorney General at the time, um, Senator the Honourable George Brandis QC, uh, spent eight minutes on Sky News failing to explain what the fuck it meant and it won David Spears a Walkley Award for that interview. Brilliant stuff. Um, so clarifying that would be good. Um, the PJCIS uh, fell short of saying you need to get a warrant for this shit, but they did say, yeah, we can't have thousands of people um, have the ability to do this. Uh, they said that the Department of Home Affairs within the next 18 months has to develop guidelines and processes for more detailed reporting which means at the moment there isn't. Uh, what else was there? Uh, yeah, there's a thing where the agencies will have to destroy the data after 
the end of why they got it. Like if there was a specific investigation, once that investigation is finished, they have to delete it. That's the same rule, for example, for telephone intercepts and whatever. So it's fair to do this. Uh, I'm just looking through my Twitter threads here. This is exciting. Um, If you would like to fund this podcast uh, for me to read more of my Twitter threads to you at midnight on a Saturday night, go to the 9pmedict.com slash tip. I'm happy to do this, possibly because I've had two bottles of wine and we're on to the bubbles because the result is announced. Uh, Oh, mate, if you want to have fun, read Section 180 of the Telecommunications Interception and Access Act. That's fun. Uh, What else did I note? Oh, the Telecommunications Act 1997, Section 8, uh, Section 280, brackets 1, brackets B. Uh, They recommended that be repealed. Have a look. Like, fabulous. Section 313 is still in. And Section 313 of the Telco Act is my favourite, but they've recommended that Section 281B be repealed. I should stop this now because I think this is getting really fucking silly. Don't you? What about. Read my thing. EFA want me to maybe turn that into an article. Um, I'll. Post the thread on my website and all that. I don't fucking know. It's after midnight. I should stop this bullshit and just finish all this alcohol and fade into the distance. The platypus keeps just falling backwards into the furniture. Uh, He can do that. I mean, he's drinking as well. He has a lower tolerance to alcohol than I do for a variety of reasons. Not wussiness, but, yeah, he's medicated even more than I am, and rightly so. Uh, (laughs) Dear. Um, But thank you to the platypus, Snarky Platypus, for keeping me company. Thank you to all of you out there for keeping me company through this live stream, all four of you or however many there's been and uh yeah thank you all for making this happen and that's the edict for now all the links of course are at the 9pmedict.com uh tip like subscribe send money do all those things uh, the next episode will be on Friday, actually, coming up with John Birmingham. Until then, I'm still Garyan. Wash your hands. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.